0: Welcome to the Barack Obama-approved world's greatest podcast, episode one zero three. I am your host with the mostest, Kellen Conley, and this is Hyphen Nation. Now, this is a very special Hyphen Nation. All Hyphen Nations are really special, you know, because everyone's an event. You should not miss out on any of them. Honestly, there's 102 episodes. There's no excuse at this point. Like I, I got, I got freaking archives now. Here's the thing. I got my semi-regular co-host, Marcus, showing Mad Love Robinson here with me. Nothing what up, much, Marcus?
1: Nothing much, man. And
0: I, I'm telling you, man, a giant bat. <laughs> uh, I, I, that's the part I'm actually just at right now. And if you don't know what that quote is, that is from Batman 1989 directed by Tim Burton and it'll be the 30th anniversary of that movie very shortly in just a few days time so you know the dynamic duo of podcasting, see what I did there had to get together to do the 30th anniversary of Batman 1989 and I'm hella excited, hella excited Marcus
1: Yes man, like this is a movie I can literally say I grew up with and um, right now I'm watching, I'm at the scene where, uh, Bruce comes to Vicky Vale's apartment with these cheap ass $2 flowers. My man's a, um, a, a billionaire. He got these daisies he, he got from like a cemetery. Damn. Bruce cheap as a motherfucker. Gosh, yeah, man. he
0: was all the money went to the tech, man. All the money went to the tech. So I I got a couple things I want to clear up before we get into, get into the shits. Okay. Yes. Uh, first thing. You met Shea Serrano and I haven't asked you about it for a minute. So I need to know about (laughs) that. But before I tell you, before you tell me that, I do want to mention that this, this, before you came on this episode today, it had been eight whole ass episodes without your presence, my friend. And that's the longest you had not been on Hyphenation like since you got on the pod. Like ever. You believe
1: that? I you know the fun thing is I think this is number 15. Uh, Is it? I think it is, man. I well, think it is.
0: podcasting 101, Tom, because I just so happen to have the feed up. So let us start and begin. Here we go. One, two, three, four, five, six seven eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 this is 16 because no the uh Avengers pre-game was 15 this is your 16th appearance my friend
1: oh okay yes sweet 16 yes man i mean the raptors once the six one and six this is 16 (laughs) hey and it's the sixth month of the year this is my 600th time watching batman
0: (laughs) angel's gonna turn 36 here soon it's like i turned 36 earlier this year
1: I was born in 1986. Oh, Transformers,
0: the movie, also came out in 1986. And there was a a remastered episode of that for a podcast called Fresh. It just came out.
1: Oh, nice. I will be checking that out. And the listeners, you should, too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, oh, in case you didn't know, this show is brought to you by Hyphen Podcast Group, a Morgantown, West Virginia-based podcast collective, bringing great podcasts to the people. And as always... Brought to you by Mark Robb, the dot com. Written by my comrade, my comrade, my comrade in podcast arms, Marcus Robinson. And he's got some pieces he's working on. Maybe something a little about Drake. Maybe something about Black Mirror. He's, uh, he's working out the kinks, man. So keep your eye on that space. And if, even if you don't want to keep your eye out for new material, he's got a ton of good stuff on there. Just go back to episode 100. I listed a whole bunch of pieces.
1: Yes, man. And so speaking of the sixth god, um, I think my next piece of that I want to come out with is we are on the year well, a little bit past the year anniversary of Pusha T basically melting Drake's rap persona away. And so <laughs> melting I def- his face. I definitely want to explore it. Uh, and go back to where me and Kelly had the emergency pod last year, which I know we went over, I know you went over the favorite episodes, but that emergency pod we did on Pusha T and Drake last year. I mean, that was one for the books, man. We, it really was. We came together like super spontaneously. Did the shortest pod night. we ever did. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. It was just off the fly, off the cuff. And, and I, I'm gonna listen back to that episode because um you know, I don't wanna sell myself short or give away what I'm gonna write, but fuck it. Um I mm-hmm. I don't think Drake's career as the rapper, I think that shit's kind of dead. And he's he's sort of in an interesting space of how him as a rapper himself, like this craft of writing is is still up there, but at the same time like who really takes Drake seriously as a rapper anymore,
2: mm. and
1: so i wanna I wanna explore that and just basically look into you know what really more is left of Drake in the rap world because I mean he I think he's definitely made the sense of want to be a pop artist, and I think now is basically the time where he should or probably will just lean into that more than a rap shit, but But that's for another conversation for another day. Yeah, absolutely. We are are here not to talk about the Raptors winning in six, which we may do that on a later date in the near future.
0: Yes. Another Um, hyphen podcast group pod.
1: We are here to talk about the, what I dub as the best Joker movie until the Joker movie comes out later this year. But Jack Nicholson's portrayal of Jack Napier uh morphing into the joker batman 1989 so oh. so typically uh for these pods whenever me and Kellen get together uh most of the time I I do come up with the questions and the concept of the episode but my man Kellen said fuck that he he put me in that Vatic chemicals
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> he he created the questions that we're going to look into discover today yeah uh, man and they did not need any sort of syllable approval I saw of questions, and I knew that they were the shit. So let's get into
0: So, so, but before we do that,
1: Chase Serrano, go. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I got,
0: shit. I got to no. know. I got to no know now.
1: So speaking of uh, watching this comic book movie um, in San Antonio um, in March, I believe there was like a basically like a comic, like a mini comic book convention. Um, in downtown San Antonio and it was for free and um, Shay he was actually invited as a guest speaker for those who don't, aren't familiar with Shay um he's a writer, he's from San Antonio he used to be a teacher but he went uh, full into writing and he's a published author he has, <laughs> he actually has a coloring book with Bun B but then <laughs> that led to um, the history of rap which basically like a i think i got the title right but the rap yearbook yeah the rap yearbook my bad but it's it's about basically the best song of each the best rap song of each year and he has like amazing details for his stories he's a very humorous very thoughtful uh funny writer um i first picked him up on grantland um and now he's you know still writing for the ringer um, he was in San Antonio for a while, but he moved back to I'm oh, sorry, he was in Houston for a while, then he moved back to San Antonio recently. Um, he built a new house for himself here. Um, but anyway, so uh, at the at this um, you know, comic book convention, he spoke and basically he was, you know, speaking about how his life was growing up in San Antonio and then morphing into, you know, his career as a writer today. And I even like asked him a couple of questions. Um i you know talked to him a little bit about bill simmons did you have a list <laughs> of questions <laughs> no nah, i like sort of freestyle it was like a it was just like a question ask uh question and answer section okay and there was like a slight lull and i just said fuck it i went for it nice. and uh, i told a couple of jokes not really like joke jokes but you know said humorous things enough to make him and the people in the crowd laugh nice. but You know, I definitely asked him about, you know, his come up as a writer and, you know, how having Bill Simmons as a boss like really changed his life. And he says that Bill, you know, definitely, you know, I mean, definitely changed his life for the for the better and how, you know, to keep writing and sort of keep championing that idea and, you know, always keep striving. If you follow Shay on Twitter, he's definitely I would say. Probably the most positive person that I follow. I don't really follow a lot of like positive affirmation people or accounts, but he's definitely someone who's always, you know, keep working. Your time will come. Uh, but he also he'll he's funny as fuck. So. Oh yeah. So. So, yeah, he's a very, like I say, just a thoughtful guy, humorous guy. Um, Medium was really, really fun. Um, I got a couple of pics with him on the ground. Um, So, yeah, man, he's... The funny thing is he's actually taller than what I thought he would be, which those sort of little human moments are always funny, like, whenever you meet people from online in in person. Right. But, yeah, like, he... For some reason, like, I just thought he was short as fuck for some (laughs) reason. I don't know why, but, like, he's... I mean, he's basically like five ten, like right. and, I'm, and I'm like six foot tall, so I mean, I wasn't like looking down on him like that. So
0: no, you wasn't, but you also put, made sure to put put the picture at a weird ass angle, so I have to literally turn my phone to kind of get the accurate display because y'all are definitely crooked and coming from the left lower hand corner on
1: his well, picture. Well, well, that was that was like his publicist hit that angle, but it oh, was a okay. very. It was a very 2019 angle, but I was grateful for the picture nonetheless. <laughs> Shout out
0: to my man's uh, pink Snorlax t shirt. That shit's fire. Just do it later. Bunch of t shirt kings running around hyphen podcast group.
1: Yeah, man. We have drip too hard. Don't stand <laughs> too close. Fuck around and drown. Like, that's that's how we got to play it, man. Hey,
0: man. Hey, that's exactly right. So, Batman 1989. Here we are. Just had, just had to know about Shay because, uh, I've read, uh, I've read the um, basketball book he did, basketball and other things. He has a book that just came out, maybe called "Movies and Other Things." And then uh, last year, around in the summer, he actually did a little. It was literally he put out like maybe a series of essays called "Conference Room Five Minutes" about the office. And I, I purchased that, and that's just hilarious too. So I'm a big fan of Shays. And then when I saw that picture, I like freaked out and everything. So anyway. Michael Keaton is gracing myself with his presence, and uh, also Kim Basinger's gracing herself with or gracing my presence. I'm saying it all fucked up. Room full of smoke. <laughs> uh, Alfred's cleaning up stuff. Shout out! Shout out to my man, man. He was in. He held it down for four Batman movies, and then my uh, and then eventually he, he couldn't do it no more. He had to tap.
1: Yes. So shout out to Michael Gall.
0: Michael uh, Gall.
1: Yeah. He apparently he's appeared in over one hundred and fifty pieces of film and television. Um he unfortunately passed away um I believe twenty eleven. But um, Yeah, and it
0: was kind of recent.
1: Yeah, but you know, his spirit is definitely um present in the movie and definitely from this until uh Batman and Robin, um he was a very, very I would say he was a really good uh he was a really good Alfred, yeah, uh, Michael, Michael Mann. Um, he definitely followed up with the, being a great Alfred. Mm-hmm. Um, Michael Mann, the, you mean Michael Kane? Michael Kane, damn, oh, yeah, Michael, Michael Mann. Cain, shit. I mean, like, Michael, I Michael Mann played Alfred. <laughs> Michael Mann probably wanted to play Alfred, he was just too scared. So, probably, and uh, oh my god, who's the last Alfred? I forget his name, he was um. Use a fucking bad guy and die with a vengeance. Um, oh
0: yeah, um, Jeremy
1: Irons. Yes, Jeremy Irons. Which uh, we won't talk about that, you know, nah, atrocity.
0: We, we, we don't have to do that. Don't do that to yourself. I, I like it when you like yourself. So let's just let's just get right down to it now that I've wasted enough of everyone's time with all these uh, grand des, delusions of grandeur and introductions. Batman, nineteen eighty nine. So. Right off the bat, Marcus, do you remember the first time that you saw Batman?
1: Uh, the first time I saw Batman, mm-hmm. I, on, I honestly don't remember, but I'm pretty sure it was just on VHS. Okay. Um, the VHS came out. So basically it came out in 89. The VHS came out basically that November. And this was, this was really sort of the first piece of like home entertainment that i basically fell in love with Mm -hmm. um i i still remember the coca-cola commercial where like the bat my alfred is pouring a a glass of cold coca-cola ice and although and like batman's basically racing home to get this (laughs) (laughs) coca-cola so I guess it may have been scarce in Gotham City, but you know he had to race home to get that Coke. That
0: that um, was an iconic. That was definitely an no, uh, iconic commercial. Because as soon as you said that, it came right back to me. I could see the Batmobile rushing home to, so he could get that Coke, man. So,
1: hundred exactly. percent. Exactly, man. So I and I, I ran that VHS into the ground. Like um, I when I said like earlier, like I watched just, just like my six hundred time watching this movie. Um, I have. I'm pretty sure this is the the most watched piece of anything I've ever watched in my life like um could being that young kid I was basically like what th- uh, three or four now I'm I'm turning like 33 in a month so I've I watched this movie so many times, like I could watch it on mute and know what the hell's going on. I'm watching right now, Kim Basinger is in the batcave confronting Bruce.
2: Ooh. He's wearing
1: that he's wearing that sexy ass black turtleneck. Oh yeah. And he's saying and I said, I got a job to do. I gotta go to work. And then now he's about to do the montage of you know, putting on the bat suit, which this is this montage is fucking gnarly. Yes, a quick piece of trivia. So, I'm so addicted to this movie. I I know what fucking type of shoes Batman wears. (laughs) Oh, wow. Oh, my God. So,
0: So. please, for our our audience that's hanging on the edge of their seats, Marcus, what shoes is Michael Keaton slash Bruce Wayne wearing in this film?
1: Well, I... Or in this montage. I definitely consider myself a a sneaker aficionado. Absolutely. Um, In the first movie, he's wearing a pair... Of Nike bow trainers which Bo Jackson trainers um, if you google or if you've seen the trainers that Spike Lee wears in um, and do the right thing they're yes. white brown with a little bit of blue in them and in this movie they basically painted them all black so he's basically running around a pair of bows which is fucking legendary and, and Batman Returns he's wearing a pair of all black jordan sixes what <laughs> yes <laughs> no he's not he's wearing a pair of and you can see specifically the jordan sixes when so basically it's the scene when the Catwoman is there but then they both leave and then you see her changing the car when you see batman pick up his boots there's a row about four boots and each shoe attached to the boot is a pair of Jordan motherfucking sixes painted all black. Well,
0: uh, and, I, that confirms that, uh, Michael Keaton my
1: favorite Batman. <laughs> and, and that's how you know, I've seen this movie one too many times. <laughs> wow. Yes. Man. That's
0: incredible. I, you learn something every day. And uh, as a sneaker aficionado, who's trying to get back in the game, I, I can appreciate that. So, First time I remember seeing this movie, I was I was six when Batman hit the theaters. Um, it it came out in June of '86 or June '86, June of '89. So I was I was six years old. I'm pretty sure that I I saw this movie in the theaters because um, I think this like this is one of my first movie experiences ever. Because I think my very first superhero movie that I saw um which I'm going to ask you about and I don't even um have to ask you cuz you said you saw this on the VHS but I was going to ask you what your first superhero uh, movie experience was in a the theater um mine was <laughs> Superman 4: The Quest for Peace and oh, shit. yeah Ooh. my dad took me to some cheap ass matinee and I watched that shit with the Nuclear Man and I I I just knew even as a, a child cuz that came out in like 88 87 or something I knew something was wrong. I, and I was like, man, this this doesn't feel like a good story. Like I, I didn't know what I was seeing, but I obviously I saw a travesty. Um and then it was Batman. Yeah. And there's Batman and then there was Ninja Turtles in nineteen ninety. So that I definitely remember seeing this in in the theater at least once. Um and then once it came as soon as it came out on VHS, I think I got it for Christmas. Um and that that Christmas and then just like you, I, I was constantly watching Batman. It was always Batman. And then once the Turtles movie ended up coming out by, in 1990 or early 91, whenever that dropped, the VHS, it was all about watching the Turtles then for me.
1: What does, well, does Mutant Ninja Turtles, does that qualify as a comic book movie? Was that ever a comic book movie? Oh, oh was, oh, the, oh, was Mar- it ever a comic book?
0: Oh, Marcus. Oh, Marcus. Okay. So in 1984, Two gentlemen named Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird, in their um, dorm room or apartment, or whatever, decided to draw four ninja turtles. They they were drawing these animals that were supposed to be ninjas. It was supposed to be a riff on Daredevil comics because there was always these uh, ninjas in Daredevil comics because the hand. And so they were going to do n- a ninja clan called the Foot, and they needed protagonists to fight against them. So they ended up coming with these four um, turtles that were like human like. And so in 1984, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number one was released through Mirage Comics. They self-published it. And they were selling them like hotcakes out of nowhere. Like, they it just took off. And so they were going to second printings and stuff, and they were doing everything in-house for a while until um, they started to eventually start getting the money, recouping from uh, all their sales and stuff in the early 80s. And so they were selling comics and making bucks. Um, way before um, Playmates and uh, the television, the 1987 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles show ever came into play. The cartoon is the iconic one with the red, blue, and orange and um, purple bandanas. They they just wore red bandanas in the original comics. Man, they they cursed, they killed, they killed Shredder in the first episode or first episode, first issue. <laughs> like Shit. they were rowdy, they were rowdy, rowdy, about it. About it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah,
1: man, that's intense. <laughs> that's fucking intense. Yeah, man. So there um, was
0: def- definitely a history before we got to the Beats 11 um brothers that we saw um in the late 80s and then eventually make it to the um silver screen. Okay, damn.
1: Learn something new every day. See, oh, Damn. <laughs> I
2: think
0: I think we may have a working episode title, so let me jot that down. <laughs> um do you remember the first uh superhero superhero film that um so, well, not even the first one that you saw. Was Batman your first superhero film experience, period? Like, even on home video?
1: Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Because, well, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles came out in 90. Um, another comic book movie I I saw in a the theaters more likely was fucking Dick Tracy. <laughs> like, uh, that came out in 1990. Um, so, it's, it's a toss-up between those three, but I'm... I'm pretty sure it was. I saw Batman first. Mm-hmm. I know I had um, I I had definitely had Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle on VHS also. Um, but shout out to my dad. Sweet, coming off of Father's Day, shout out to my dad. Like he's actually the reason. He's probably the reason why I'm so big in the movies because like he's always been super into movies. I I, I still remember. <laughs> I remember being like being a young kid, being scared of the uh nightmare on elm street vhs cover oh (laughs) yeah so like he always had movies on deck um like like, throughout the years like we always like would watch movies together and a lot of them were bootlegs so actually the the fun thing is like the first time i watched guardian of the galaxy it was on bootleg at my dad's house so (laughs) nice so yeah, bad. Shout out to Pop. Shout out to all the dads. Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to you too. Oh, thanks. And shout man. out to all the dads. Yes. I
0: I mean you've said enough nice stuff about me in the past month that hold me over for like a couple years. So you don't gotta say happy
1: Father's Day.
2: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh um, shit. Um, so so big dog. Oof. Let's 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 just go ahead and get get to the Joker here. Okay. Uh is this is this your favorite joker origin story i know you're not big on comic books and stuff and i know we've talked about dark Knight just last summer um we didn't really get to know heath ledger's joker's origin he told a couple different tales and no, we don't know which is true they definitely showed joker's origin in batman 89 um is this your like and i know that you i think you said you dabbled a little bit with the animated series batman maybe um i don't remember if they ever got into the the origin in there either so is this your definitive joker origin that you kind of draw from wherever the joker appears from or joker pops up in batman media
1: um as far as my favorite um well i think the more i guess you know, standard origin of, of Joker is has been fine with me. Um, I was looking at the, I was looking at this. Um, we're trying to do research on this movie, and uh, Burton's portrayal of Joker was heavily influenced by The Killing Joke. Yeah. So, so that's why you know. Well, it's a combination of that. Like there was like a another joker story that had like you know him getting dropped in the vat acid but um but but yeah i think actually this portrayal is actually i mean for him like just to get wasted at the end of the movie when batman is basically this whole thing is like not icing people like spoilers um, (laughs) i mean that's like a, a pretty interesting take to have so um so yeah, I I think this portrayal is pretty cool. What do you, you think?
0: Um, I actually like it. Before I answer that though, I am at the scene where um, Vicky and Bruce are sitting at that long ass table, and Bruce just had to literally walk the salt down, or whatever he brought down to her because they're so fucking far apart. Because Bruce is such a freaking doofus in this movie, <laughs> like he reminds, like for some reason I get such Peter Parker, rich Peter Parker vibes from him in this movie. When he's Bruce, like you don't see the cool confidence that um, he exerts like he can do it. But you see more of that in returns. And then especially with Christian Bale's portrayal uh, later down the line, you kind of see that cool Bruce um, come out when it has to. But this Bruce is a goofball, man. I mean, obviously, he. I don't want anybody to think that I'm Batman. I kind of get why he's doing it. He's kind of trying to put you off. Uh, but it, it's it's definitely funny to see uh how goofy uh keaton plays it sometimes
1: yeah um because i mean like keaton coming out of the early 80s like he's basically just like a like a goofy comic movie actor right and so for him to you know Transfer into this. And he does have like the comedic timing down. So he he definitely pulls off uh this portrayal. He's Keaton is definitely my favorite Batman of mm. any sort of portrayal. So he definitely pulls shit off.
0: Um yeah, Niggas was mad when, when Keaton got got Batman. I was too young to know it then, but I'd look back on it. And it was a huge controversy, just like Tony Stark and robert downey jr thing was when that got announced in 2007 whenever marvel came out and said that like you can't get him to play this person and then lo and behold he's he's near and dear to everyone's hearts is like their favorite batman just like tony stark will always be in our hearts i love you 3000 all that shit man
1: so speaking of that like who being mad like there is basically a laundry list of people who were up for batman but you know they didn't get it including (laughs) Including everyone's favorite problematic uh, Jew hater, Mel Gibson. <laughs> oh God! Uh, so here, here's that would have of- killed
0: the Lethal Weapon movies. He wouldn't. There's no way he would have been able to do Lethal Weapon in Batman. I don't think. I don't think DC or Warner Brothers would have let him do it.
1: Yeah, and so how's this for? Do you think that one Bill Murray would have pulled off Bruce Wayne? Oh my God. Yes, exactly. So Bill Murray was in consideration. So just to get a little bit back, um basically the the idea for, you know, having like the Batman movie, it stemmed from the seventies, but basically the ball got rolling more so in the eighties. And then whenever the killing joke premiered, that's when like like people sort of really got the idea to like really go full steam ahead and so So get this pairing of who these studios wanted as not only Batman, but Robin. (laughs) Apparently they wanted Bill Murray to be Batman and your favorite, your actor that you defended as the biggest Hollywood actor ever as Robin.
0: Oh, God. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, Eddie
1: Murphy, man. Eddie Murphy is Robin. Imagine you're, that. You're kidding, me, man. Like, oh, uh, can, uh, can you
0: like DC has messed up a lot in like the last ten years of their of their film universe. Can you imagine if they had fucking rolled out Bill Murray and and fucking Eddie Murphy in 1989 as Batman and Robin,
1: and committed I mean, to that shit? It basically would have been the. Um... Adam West shit. So actually that that really sort of would change the course of of uh, just comic movies in general. Because I mean huh. if you don't if you don't get this Batman, if you get 89 Batman, you're not gonna get Batman uh Batman Returns with the legendary performance from Daniel DeVito and Michelle Pfeiffer and just sort of the the edginess of what this wanted to do and also like in the 90s like there was definitely a slew of like darker comic book movies that came after Batman um uh, the Crow uh fucking Blade uh, mm-hmm. uh you know Spawn like i figure like you know if this movie which is pretty dark, and the Joker's gang is fucking murdering cops in broad daylight. Yes, they are. No like, problem. Like, no problem. <laughs> My man said "Fucked 12. <laughs> exactly. Yo, they're, yeah. ice, they're icing cops with, like, no remorse. And so I, I'm highly sure we don't get (laughs) spawned if something like Batman can't really sort of get off the ground. So, so yeah, man, the origin of of this Batman is really interesting. And speaking of like sort of, you know, what if person X would have got casted? Mm -hmm. uh, I'm never going to break down, you know, a little bit more the Joker, but can you, do you think this actor could have pulled off the Joker? Do you think, Robin Williams would have put out the joker in this movie?
0: God bless Just, the dead. Um, so yeah yes. yes, yes, it, yes, it, it, there's there's no way because the thing I love about Robin Williams, man, like Lord knows he was a tortured soul. He had drug issues his whole life. he wasn't he wasn't the best to his um spouses sometimes and stuff like that. Never heard anything crazy about him. Maybe maybe he got a little physical from time to time, and I might be misquoting that. I, I I just heard that maybe it was just a couple of domestic abuse calls and stuff that they came and went to the house. But aside from all that, Robin Williams, man, his range was ridiculous. And the thing that I th- was a big problem for him, at least in my mind, was that people expected him to always be on. And with everything else he's dealing with in his personal life he didn't want to fucking be on so when he took those more serious roles like Dead Poets Society or Goodwill Hunting or even like in the 2000s and stuff like when he was he had that one movie um the where he was uh what is it 24 hour 24 hour photo or something like that where he yeah, was a one hour he, photo yeah he was a a murderer and stuff like that um he he would have loved to play this role and everybody would like oh man i i want to see uh, Cesar Romero, uh, Joker from Robin Williams. It's like, and Robin Williams would be like, fuck that. I'm, I'm coming in and playing this straight serious with a goofy ass grin on my face. Like, I can see him in that iconic Robin Williams smile with that white face paint and that red lipstick, man. It, whew, Like, that That idea just gives me chills. Like, I'm sad we missed out on that because I think Heath Ledger won one in 2008. I think maybe Robin Williams could have won his, for his betrayal of uh, Joker in 1989. Who knows? I think he had that kind of stretch uh, of range to do that easily.
1: I definitely think he had the range. Um, I think, I mean, I think Robin actually enjoyed being on like, I've, I've like always heard just like stories of him, like, even when, like, he's on photo shoots and, like, well, not photo shoots, but, like, movie shoots, and, like, there's, like, just, like, downtime. Like, he's, like, always, like, getting, like, trying to make people laugh on set. Um, Speaking of, um, uh, you were talking about Deadpool Society. Um, He was basically, like, on the whole time and he was, one of his things was, like, he would always try to make Ethan the laugh. And, like, (laughs) Ethan the was so young and so serious that he he, like never tried to like really fall for it, but like every other actor was like always, um, like always, always like you know happy to be around him. Um, so yeah, like, I think he would have did a pretty excellent job. I don't know. I think because at this time, like Jack, like you know, I think Jack Nicholson's career is sort of really fascinating we're going to talk about this later but yeah i think i think his career is pretty fascinating and he's really played like a, a wide range and also like just his the the span of his career like over the decades like um i think he really did an excellent job with this movie but we'll talk about a little bit about that later
0: yeah yeah absolutely um uh, another thing i just noticed like bruce just woke up after vicky stayed the night the first night and like vicky woke him up and my man has not slept a wink because he's not used to sleeping at night you can tell and shout out again to michael keaton man because i've never noticed that before but he wakes up and like he's like he just has those eyes and that face it's like i haven't been to sleep and i i kind of tried but i didn't because i'm not used to sleeping nights and (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and it was it was a nice little moment that you that you would blink and you miss it, and I blinked and missed it many times until just now. So that was pretty cool. Um, yeah. Let let me pick this back up though. So we're we're at Joker, and whether this is the definitive origin for me, um, have you read the the Killing Joke by chance? But um, uh, not, yeah, Alan Moore. Alan Moore wrote the Killing Joke.
1: Yeah, I it's been a while, but yeah.
0: Okay. Um. I actually like the straight origin a little bit better personally because with the killing joke, even though it was kind of like I'm a failed comedian and, and they kind of laid it out in the killing joke. It kind of was still left a little open-ended as far as how the Joker came to be. I like having a definitive start for where this madness begins. And if I were to sit down and write um, For the Joker, say I was writing a, a book, comic book, screenplay or something, I would be drawing from that area of he fell in a vat at Ace Chemicals or wherever, and that's where he became the Joker. Now, the Jack Napier thing and all it like, I don't really care about who he was before. The main thing is, is that vat of chemicals changed his frickin' life. Um, so I, I'd have to say that this is definitely the definitive Joker origin that I like best.
1: Uh Okay, are you excited for, well, do you even, not even excited, like, do you even, are you interested in checking out the Joker that comes out this October?
0: Yes, and only for one reason, one reason only, when Joaquin Joaquin Phoenix Phoenix disappears in the roles, he disappears in roles, so I I have to see him disappear inside of this character, I just gotta see it, I I think he's gonna kill it.
1: And uh, I mean, this, the cast of the movie is good too. Um, you you see who, who's playing in the movie, right?
0: I have not seen the cast.
1: Who's in the movie? Oh, uh, so uh, our guy. Um, oh, fuck. Hold on now. Oh, I'm a big fan uh, of him. Brian, Brian Tyree Henry. Oh. Brian Tyree Henry. What up, yes. Al? Yeah, so he's in it. Um, Zazzy Beats, who is. Um, also from Atlanta. Yes, That's so what's she, up. she's in it too. Nice. Um, apparently, De Niro's in it. <laughs> so, oh,
2: shit. Nuh-uh.
1: so, so yeah, man. Uh, niggas are getting with the shits. <laughs> so,
0: so, yo, um, what still blows my mind is Spider Verse. Um, uh, Byron uh, or Byron, uh, Byron Brian Tyree Henry was um, uncle, it was Miles's uncle. He was um,
1: no. No, yeah. he, was his, he was
0: his dad. His dad, Ma- yes. I'm sorry, Mahershala Lee was his uncle. Mahershala was his uncle. Was uh, Uncle Aaron. You're right. But yeah, he was his dad. I, I keep getting them confused. I keep flip flopping the actors. But I thought like it didn't even sound like Al that I know from Atlanta. You know, um, I've heard uh Brian Tyree Henry and other interviews and stuff. And even then, he still sounds like a, a big nigga from Atlanta. <laughs> and as Miles' dad, he did not sound like that at all. So shout out to his voice acting abilities.
1: Yeah, so his his career is definitely um, ascending. So I I'm definitely excited for his future. Mm-hmm. Uh, I the funny thing is like I'd actually been I actually been waiting for like a, a movie sort of origin thing for Joker. Um, I'm excited for this way more than like another Batman movie. But I'm assuming you know Batman is or Bruce Wayne in so in some sort of form is going to pop up somehow in this movie probably. I don't think maybe, I don't think it's going to be like a um, if anything it's probably going to be like a bridge to a sequel which I'm kind of hoping not but I mean the only movies that make money are, are like comic book movies with mega sequels so
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, but you know they can well I I apparently it's DC's sort of thing now is basically doing these standalone movies so hopefully it's not Necessarily a sequel, or if it's a sequel, maybe it's like a sequel from the perspective of the Joker in these crimes, and then Batman is sort of the bit player, I guess. Um, but but yeah, I am excited for the for the new Joker movie.
0: a hundred percent. And like, I, as soon as I saw the first images of Jared Leto as Joker from Suicide Squad, I was just like, skip. <laughs>
1: so uh, yeah, he looked terrible. Yeah. He looked
0: ter- I, and I've seen the beginning of Suicide Squad and like parts of his portrayal as Joker, and I was like, "No, this isn't Joker. This isn't going to work." And sure enough, I was right. So shout out to me.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's always um, good to be right. The the oh amen the the back end of that Joker question. Um, the did you like that Jack Napier was tied in with killing um, uh, Martha and uh, Bruce's father.
1: I did. Um, I think that the. Um, I think that it was Thomas, good. In Thomas and Thomas, Thomas and Martha Wayne. Wayne. Yeah. Damn, I went super blank there. I found it, though. <laughs> no, that's all good. Um, but no, I think that it was pretty effective in this movie. Um, originally, the movie was set to where Joker was actually supposed to kill Vicky Vale um, and, and then that was basically going to put, like, Bruce over the top and, I guess, like, maybe more murderous. I mean, he's not really murderous in this movie, but um, but they're <laughs> going to go super dark. I mean, he, if you think about ca- the only... He catches some bodies, though. That is for sure. <laughs> I mean, the only bodies he really... Well, the only time he really catches a body is when he's in the, um, the bat plane. And he's, like clapping people on the on the parade stand. Yeah. Yes, which I mean if you're getting hit with like bullets from jets, I mean that's I'm pretty sure that's not comfortable. So <laughs> so like he was hitting niggas with the missiles too. Yeah that's so. no that's no flesh wound. <laughs> that is not a flesh wound. So oh, shit. but I mean and I mean I said he killed the Joker, but did he I don't know if he does it really count as him killing the Joker, or is that just gravity working as gravity has worked since the beginning of time?
0: And That's gravity. Um, yeah. I, I mean, it, it wasn't a, bl- a belligerent, blatant move on Batman's part to kill Joker. I don't feel like it was this... I mean, Joker's dumb ass was stuck on a helicopter and was, had been roped to that statue. I mean, J- Joker made had always made his choices and that was his last choice man so uh i I can't even count that one against him now a couple of dudes especially when he's on like in that final uh 25 minutes and he's on like he's chasing down joker to the cathedral when he's at joker as a vicky i feel like a couple of those dudes he's he did end up like killing um but i don't i don't feel like it was intent and like it wasn't like I, I'm going in here to kill you. It was more like, shit, you went off the roof. Fuck it. Let's keep moving.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, like the the black dude in the bell tower, mm-hmm. he basically hit him with a hurricanrana. <laughs> he bashed his skull in with a fucking bell mm-hmm. and then he like threw him down the bell fly. So maybe that counts as a body. Well, I mean, it's it was more on the self-defense, but it, he died, so I would still count that as a body. Um i know there's one dude definitely he he claps on the parade um the parade thing so mm-hmm. he has at least two to three bodies that he actually caught whereas in any other batman vehicle other than the killing joke he's not really catching bodies
0: right yeah. um so, so did, did that bother you at all like even now like are you somebody who with Batman it's like Batman doesn't kill? Batman doesn't kill. Like I can't believe Batman did this or anything. Like even like you're rewatching it, I'm rewatching it. Does that bother you at all? Or is it cool in the course of this story? Um, compared to say the um the desert nightmare dream in uh Batman v Superman when Batfleck like is literally killing dudes and people are like losing their mind, like Batman's killing people, or at the beginning of the movie, like he Batman had cut up somebody and carved a bat to him like that shit was blatant like this is kind of like in the line of duty kind of shit so did it bother you at all
1: well i think people were losing their mind and batman versus superman for different reasons other than that but well yes <laughs> yeah. but no nah, i didn't have a problem with this i mean and actually i mean the reason i didn't have a problem with it is actually because i mean sort of similar lines of tim burton like uh, like I said, Tim Burton, like, his first actually foray with Batman was a killing joke. And my first interaction with Batman at all was um, was this movie. So, like, you know, him killing, well, him killing the Joker and the Joker origin story of him killing his parents. I actually, I thought that was, like, the thing. Like, I thought that, like, that was, like, um you know, true. Yeah, I thought it was canon. Um, when I was, I mean, when I was a kid watching like, the Batman reruns, I mean, they they didn't they didn't take very much seriously in that Batman uh, Adam West TV show.
0: No, they did not.
1: Um, so, so for me, like, I never thought it was that big of a deal. And when I learned, like, eventually, like, I mean, the guy that that um you know killed his parents was like just just a dude. Um, I actually kind of thought, well, maybe it should have been better as the Joker killing his parents anyway. Um but I think actually I I do appreciate Batman's stance of not killing. Um basically like that's you know his I guess moral bedrock in a sense of like he's just not gonna kill anyone. Right. Um but as as many people point out, killing people will save a lot of time. (laughs) Like if he kills like the Joker, like a lot of preventable shit could happen.
0: So. Well, that's what, um, I, I mean, I don't know if it's spoilers. Let me just throw spoilers out there for those who are not caught up on like, let's like say the last 15 years of Batman comic books. Jason Todd, who was a second Robin, he got murdered by the Joker in 1988. What happened was the story was called A Death in the Family. Uh, the DC creator, uh, the Batman creative line, uh, creators were trying to shake things up. So they're like, let's do a hotline. Let's uh, have people call in. They can vote to either kill Jason or save Jason. And Marcus, you know what they did in 1988? They all voted to kill Jason Todd because he wasn't Dick Grayson and they didn't like him. So (laughs) in issue three of Death in the Family, Joker literally takes a crowbar and beats the living shit out of Jason Todd and then blows up the building. And Batman gets there too late and finds Jason's dead body. Fast forward years later and all of a sudden there's this guy named Red Hood running around the city. Now in the Batman comics, Red Hood used to be the identity of Joker before he became the Joker. Um, so there's a, all of a sudden this new Red Hood and he's fighting villains, but he's also using lethal force and Batman's force to intervene. Turns out that somehow Jason Todd got put into a Lazarus pit, which you know from uh, Batman Begins can, uh, it can revive people bring and give them life again. Jason Todd's dead body is brought to Lazarus pit. He was brought back. And then in this story... Um, The whole point Jason Ty was trying to make is, like, why have you never done anything about this motherfucker over here talking about the Joker? Because he beat me with a fucking crowbar, Bruce, and then blew up my fucking body. And then you just let him fucking walk for years and years, and you never fucking came after him. It was never a point where it was like, this is enough. Like, kill him. Why can't you kill him? He literally had kidnapped Joker and was like, kill him. Like there is no fucking point in this fucking merry-go-round continuing. And Bruce didn't do it,
1: man. It was, it was wild. Yeah, man. Um, we established, uh, before that Bruce needs therapy and maybe he needs (laughs) to kill people also. So maybe he needs to do these two separate things.
0: Um, it, it does. It doesn't bother me that it's, that it is tied together in this movie though. Um, like if 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 DC had adopted it and made it like super canon that Joker killed Batman's parents to kind of always tie them at the hip of giving Batman a reason why he's always out to stop the Joker. I don't feel like their character needs that nuance uh, or their relationship needs that nuance of him killing the parents. In this movie, it fits, especially since we're building a world and getting to a climax of their relationship within this whole film setting. Um, so I'm fine with it in this movie. I'm glad it doesn't carry over into the regular
1: stories, though. Yeah. So, yeah, I think... Um, yeah, I think that it's this is pretty... I think especially... I think this is pretty good, but especially if you think about, you know, the time that they are in the 89, like, they're not really... Well, they're not really looking at, like, the long game, like, you know, Marvel is with, like, this whole generation of movies... Like, this is, like, in a time period where the only really sequel for a superhero movie was um, fucking Superman. Yeah. And this, the filming of this, like, it took s- not even just the filming, but, like, even the production of getting it off the ground and, like, rewrites and, like, conflicts between Tim Burton and the producers. Like, um you know, a lot of. It took a lot to get this movie made. That I know, no one was really thinking, like you know, sequel. Like they, I'm highly sure they weren't thinking a sequel until the movie made like four hundred million dollars. Uh, also, to go back real quick. Another person who was up for the Joker uh, was the late but marvelously great Tim Curry. Ah, he was Tim Burton's second choice to be to be the Joker which i didn't know curry that. is tim curry was was fucking great as an actor so yeah i think i think he could have pulled it off but but going back on track um yeah i think that they weren't really considering that i feel like because if you make this in 1999 as opposed to 1989 like they're like keeping the joker alive somehow like he he gets caught in a gargoyle, but he doesn't like fall off. He's just like just dangling there. And mm-hmm. then the cops pick him up and then they do a movie that's a sequel that was probably terrible. Then and the the third movie they probably bring the Joker back, so something like that.
0: Um going back to the killing joke before we move on, um, I know you said it's been a while since you read it, but you do you remember the ending?
1: Uh well yeah, well well us presume that he kills him, right?
0: Right, because yeah. cause Joker tells Batman a joke and they're laughing together, and yeah. then it kind of fades on and They fades out on their laughing, laughing as a looking at a puddle is like the final shots of the, of the um, comic book of the whole uh, graphic novel, and yeah, it 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 was assumed because Killing Joke was not canon, other than the fact that Barbara Gordon was actually shot and paralyzed by the Joker. That's the only thing that DC Comics made canon going forward from the Killing Joke. Um. It, it people people um like you said assume that bruce just went ahead and s- snapped uh joker's neck they said that the way that the laughter was going between the two of them looked like it became one strand of laughter and they assumed it to be batman especially the way batman's hands was reaching up towards joker's neck towards the end of it and then there's other people who were still staunch on that batman wouldn't kill joker no matter what thing so that, that's crazy to me
1: yeah, they never like confirmed that he actually killed him. Like it was always it was just oh, a hell no, film, Right.
0: Uh, Alan Alan Morrow never confirmed that shit. Yeah. Absolutely not. Um, so as we proceed, give you what you need. Uh there we there's some big name actors in this movie. There's Jack Nicholson, who already had a, a plethora of uh of great uh films to his name at this point. He only did the movie with uh, with the guarantee that he'd get the top billing and that he got some of the box office and all these other things. Like, cause he it, Let's say it says, except um, the role Joker under strict conditions that dictated top billing. That's why it says Nicholson Keaton on top of the movie when it's a Batman movie. A high salary, which I did not look to see what it was. I'm sure it's out there. And a portion of box office profits and his own shooting schedule. So my man was raking in from all those ticket stops Um, on on top of that you got Michael Keaton coming off Beetlejuice taking on this role that was um, has not been really taken on 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 the silver screen since um, Mayor West um, of course in the 60s and and then you have Kim Basinger and I want to say this is no it was definitely after um, nine and a half weeks which was I'd say was her biggest credit at that moment in time. Would you say that since this movie um, has there been any performances from any of these three actors that have beat these roles for them? Because we could sit here and debate all day about whether this, any of Jack Nicholson's roles is better than Joker. That that's just that'd be another whole podcast. Michael Keaton, you may even say that some people like Beetlejuice. His portrayal of Beetlejuice better than Batman. And some people may say that Kim Basinger was just I can in this movie and there's other roles, Meteor, for her. But what do you think? Is there anything else that stands out in their careers since Batman? Or are these kind of like to steal from uh, the rewatchables? Is this Apex Mountain for all three of them um, from 1989 forward?
1: Well, well the, you didn't just look at Kim Basinger for a second. Like Her career basically was sort of mired in Like, she's just going to be a pretty white woman, basically. Mm -hmm. Right. However, for this movie, she's actually more than that. Like, she's actually the... She actually has a better moral ground than what Bruce has in a lot of ways. Like, and this movie is pretty dark, but I don't know if this is going to come off as sexist or not, but this movie really could use, like, a blonde. And But the thing Mm -hmm. is, like, she's not, like, really a damsel in distress if you think about it, because like, yeah, like, she's just a, you know, she is a pretty woman, like, that's not really disputable, but the thing is, like, she's an intelligent woman, like, she is actually the detective in this movie when Bruce Wayne, like, is sort of a detective also, but she's, like, the counterpoint of trying to figure out, you know, Bruce's story, Mm -hmm. and in the final scene where you have, well, in the last scene before his final conflict with the Joker, like, she's confronting him And she's confronting Bruce in the Batcave about, you know, him lying about being the Batman and, like, his responsibilities. And so, like I said, she definitely has a moral base in the movie that a lot of people, you know, well, you know, other than sort of Batman, like, he doesn't really have. And, like, the funny thing is, like, we were talking earlier about was it a good thing that, um, you know, Jack Napier killed uh, Bruce Wayne's parents I mean, in a lot of ways, like, like that's, other than just sort of Batman just wanting to fight crime, like, there's no real reason, like, well, I mean, the reason is, like, he wants to fight crime and do good or whatever, but, like, the heaviness of, like, knowing that Joker killed his parents, like, that gives him extra motivation to, like, fight him at the end or whatever. But at the same time, like, Kim Basinger's character, Vicky Vale, like, She's just sort of motivated by the truth and finding out the truth, and so, and so that's like that actually has like a little bit of moral superiority, if you will, like over Bruce Wayne's character. But for her in particular, actually, I would say for for Kim Basinger and Michael Keaton, uh, they have had roles like that have topped it. But the thing is, like their careers were so. It's sort of strange, like, how this movie was super popular, but their careers really hit, like, walls. Like, Michael Keaton... Right. Like, um, the funny thing is, like, Michael Keaton's best role since 1989, Batman, was 2014's Birdman. Birdman. And and that movie was basically, like, a... Like a, a... Like a mockumentary... Like a satire on what his life was after the Batman premiere, how, like, he had this mega, no movie, but no one really take him seriously as an actor. Right. And so, so I think his portrayal in Birdman was better than Batman. And for Kim Basinger, um, L.A. Confidential, which came out in 97, which it's, if you think about it, it's really wild that, like, these movies that were, you know, eight years after Batman and fucking... 15 years after batman uh-huh. like it's it took them that long to get roles that were super on the level as batman so so even for kim like she won like um she won an academy award for her um for a role in la confidential
0: oh did but, she how did i not know that
1: yeah she won best supporting actress well oh, hold on let me see shit, on. one
0: one oscar
1: uh, let's see um
0: yeah but best supporting actress la confidential 98 that's oh wow look at you kim you go yeah, girl man. shit but, that's I what's mean, up
1: but it's wild it, it took it took almost a decade for her to get a role that was even worthy of that like she had like a after like 89 like i mean basically i mean after batman like You know, her her probably most famous movie between LA Confidential and Batman was was her appearance in Wayne's World too. Well
0: (laughs) it's kinda hard to take someone seriously when they make a movie like Cool World where they're literally playing a fucking sexy cartoon for most of the movie and then she's barely in it once this sexy cartoon is brought to the real world.
1: I mean, but the thing is you gotta keep in mind though, like during this time period, like you know, for her to be portrayed as that, who was anyone really giving her movies other than that though? Like that's a, that's a legitimate. She kind of had no
0: choice, man. Cause I, I'm looking at her credits now. And like you said, uh Batman was in 89. And then let's see if you've heard of any of these before cool world, the marrying man, or how about final I analysis? Have I have not. Uh, then there's cool world. What about the real McCoy, Marcus? I have not. How about, and you know Wayne's World 2, obviously. What about Tom yes. Petty and the Heartbreakers, Mary Jane's last name? Okay, that's a video short, my bad. How about The
1: Getaway? I do, and that's only because it used to come on at like 11 o'clock at night on like HBO. Oh, it was it's got Alec Baldwin in it. <laughs> it, was, it was basically a remake of the original Getaway, but with like more shotguns. <laughs> and like, so, and it like, in the 90s when like, when sex movies were still a thing. Like this is like kind of like a halfway sex movie, basically. Gotcha. Um and, but, and then
0: there was Ready to Wear in ninety-four. And then she took she didn't have anything until LA Confidential. So she literally didn't have any credits to her name for three years before LA Confidential rolled around.
1: Yeah, but also keep in mind as well, not only was like the roles for her being typecast, you gotta remember, in eighty-nine when I don't know if you I don't know if you ever knew this or not, but um, during like the Academy Awards and they were doing the awards for Best Film, mm-hmm. we talked about we. <laughs> that's funny is time is a flat circle. We talked earlier about Spike Lee, mm-hmm. the right thing. He actually had snubbed for he didn't get nominated for Best Picture, and Kim Basinger she was actually a presenter of the Best Picture. She was a presenter during that award ceremony, and she went off script. And she was basically talking about how, you you know, and what she was saying it correctly, how, you know, Do the Right Thing was a movie that told this the hard truth, and we need more hard truth in, you know, in our world. And she got this like rousing applause for it. But in a way, Hollywood blackballed her after that. Oh, shit. Yeah. So it's a combination of, you know, that blackball and also her getting typecast as just a beautiful blonde woman. I mean because like I said in this movie like like yeah like she's obviously beautiful. Like that's like I said, that's not a question, but she's not running around in like, you know, like thigh highs and like you know, bras and titties hanging out. Like she's she's not like no, they're she's not very conservatively around. dressed. It's yeah, not like, like
0: Chase Meridian in Batman Forever. Like Chase Meridian, Nicole Kimming in that movie. Thank you. that's just just gonna leave it at that thank you because that was all titties and ass and everything else and even and then you you get the uh freaking returns and all skin tight leather on kit and on um, uh, michelle pfeiffer and so she's definitely a very dressed down woman who is a major character in this movie compared to some of the women uh some of the actors that came after her
1: yeah, I mean, like I said, like she like she was a photographer, like she was basically doing like detective work. Like she was her character in this movie showed that she could play someone who was not only like, you know, attractive, but she actually could bring gravity and a dramatic, you know, presence to a movie that has a man running around in face paint and a guy running around in a leather bodysuit with a leather cape on. So, right, exactly. So so yeah man so you know shout out to ken basinger and it sucks that hollywood did your career that way but you know you gave us a classic and for michael keaton i mean like i said like he went like so long in between movies that were worth a damn and then like he like would have like the occasional movie like like um like his appearance in jackie brown like jackie brown's a classic yeah, your
0: favorite Tarantino movie.
1: Oh no, it's not just my favorite; it's the best Tarantino movie. <laughs>
0: uh, we're not doing hot ass takes, uh, that's but not, that's that's, that's what I was alluding to was was the hot ass takes where you said that. I'm sorry that I incorrectly said your favorite. What you say is the best Tarantino movie. Is that better?
1: I mean, it is the best turn to the movie, but that's neither here nor there.
0: I takes part and, two. Let's go. Fuck Batman.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but, but no, so he would, like, pop up in, like, movies like that. And, like, he would have, like, you know, like, like the the movies that, like, got, like, the cable run, like, Desperate Measures and, like, uh, Multiplicity. Like, you know, he and Jack, Frost like, Jesus. Jack
3: <laughs> Frost. like
1: Like, I mean, he just wasn't, like, really given much to do. Like, and it's like I said, like it's really weird that he not only had Batman, but they had Batman Returns, which is an even bigger hit in a lot of ways. But you know, he did Multiplicity, and like, like I mean, God bless. Like, that's a very cute movie for like '96, but I mean, that's just not Birdman. So right, so yeah, so he he his career got sort of the short end of the stick, but. With Birdman, like you know, that was definitely the the resurrection. And with Homecoming, you know that. Oh, so Birdman, then Spotlight, and Minions, and then you know, two years later he had Spider-Man Homecoming. And so,
0: I want to you know, send he's... a special shout out to him for the other guys because I thought he was hilarious in the other guys as the um police captain, um in that movie with uh, Will Ferrell and Mark Wahlberg. You you saw the other guys, didn't you?
1: i have not i have actually not seen that
0: movie it, it, it's it's quite funny it's 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 it came out in uh 2010 so it's prior to their uh stepdad movies that they have out now um this movie's actually funny um but the funny uh hit the funny thing that michael keaton's character keeps doing that will ferrell and mark Wahlberg confuse about he keeps making tlc song title references you, know, you can't go chase some waterfalls and i'm like that's a tlc song and he's like what Huh? <laughs> it just, like I thought he was great in that movie. I'm sorry. No, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> but
1: but no, I mean I've heard people say that they really like him, but I just haven't seen it. But I mean, but even still, like that was I'm looking at his like filmography, and like that was like what 2010.
0: Mm-hmm. That was so,
1: 2010.
0: So that I was mean, still after years of purgatory.
1: Yeah. So. So, yeah, so Kim and uh, Kim and Mike, uh, Kim and Michael, like, they, they kind of got the shaft on their end. But Jack Nicholson, like, his career basically heading into the 90s and then, like, the 2000s, like, he was, like, a respected Hollywood player, but um, his sort of filmography definitely tilted off. Like, other than, like, his, like, super brief, like, appearance and, like, you know, A Few Good Men, like the '90s weren't really anything for Jack Nicholson until As Good as It Gets came, and that was keeping on this, you know, this sort of long time between movies. Like As Good as It Gets is a classic, but that was '97. Like that. You think it's a classic? As good as it gets. Fuck yes, like Marcus. I knew <laughs> there was
0: the reason we were friends, my friend. That that that's another one we, we gotta do a part on. As good as it gets this is my fucking movie. That is my shit. Like ever since I fucking saw that movie, when it like maybe a year or so after it came out, I have always loved as good as it gets.
1: Yeah, and so I mean that that movie is definitely a classic. But, but I mean between so Batman was '89, Fugeman was '92, which he's like only in two. He's legit only in two scenes in that movie, but it still was a movie.
2: Mm-hmm. But as
1: good as it gets, '97. Between then, I mean, he's not really doing much, you know, worth. Uh, damn, honestly, um, um, I, and so after that, I mean, he did. So he was in, you know, about Schmidt. And if I remember that, that was a that was like a decent movie. It was well, fine. Was was it anger management or about Schmidt with Adam Sandler?
0: Um, anger uh, anger management was the one with Adam Sandler.
2: Okay,
1: he did something's got to give, which that movie is really good. That movie was really funny then he, so in 03 he did something's got to give 060 departed and then 070 did bucket list uh but Departed's he hasn't made a movie. 13
0: years old that's nuts
1: yeah and so that was probably his like you know that and like bucket list like his last great things he hasn't made a movie since 2010 so yeah um so yeah so i mean you can i mean you can make the argument that, like well the Departed, like he's like so over the top. He's basically channeling what he did for the Joker as just a a, a Boston mob boss, honestly. Right. It's so, number, yeah. so he's basically revising his Batman piece. So, I mean, you can make the argument. Like I said, like I would say, I would say Keaton and Birdman is better than him and Batman. I would say Nicole Kidman. Her thing, not Kim. Kim Basinger, her portrayal in LA Confidential is probably better than her portrayal of Vicky Vale. But I would say that for for Nicholson, like this is probably like like the last movie that is his best movie. And so you know, in The Departed, like I, I mean, because it's so even though thirteen years old, I mean it's not you know like two decades ago, right? But um, but. I would say like I said like I do think that is basically him doing Jack Napier. So I mean because it's already derivative, I mean he's got to get the the original credit anyway. So I would say that Jack Nicholson does does not have a better a better portrayal after after Batman. Okay.
0: Yeah, um I can't argue with any of those points there. Um there there's definitely the laws that, that we've mentioned um as far as all their careers go. Um, that the, there isn't anything that that stands out for me either though. So, um, I am in complete agreement with you there on uh, on that one, buddy. So,
1: let's now, um, uh, go ahead. Uh, I was gonna say now, quick sidebar though. We yes. Got, for them, what about Tim Burton for you? Because oh, because I, I think you can make the argument. Sort of, it's it's really funny how I think it's the concept of the the candle that burns brightest burns fastest, mm-hmm. and so if you if we take a little bit about going back to the watch tools like Apex Mountain, like this is probably Burton's Apex Mountain because. Oh shit! So let, let me give you this, run, for Tim Burton. Okay. So in '88 we get Beetlejuice. Right. '89 we get um, we get Batman. In ninety we get Edward Scissors Hands. Shit. In ninety-two we get Batman Returns. Uh-huh. Ninety-three, we get Nightmare Before Christmas. Ninety-four. No, we he get...
0: didn't direct Nightmare before Christmas, though. He
1: was, he was a producer involved. and he wrote the story. So that yeah. we're gonna count that. We're gonna okay. count that.
0: <laughs> Just wanna clarify. I don't want anybody um yelling.
1: I don't know, but I mean, by and large, people still consider that a temporary vehicle. But so we get that in 93. In 94 we get sort of the forgotten Ed Wood, which at the time, it was highly um, highly critically acclaimed. Uh, it won numerous awards. Um, it's Johnny Depp. I saw the movie. I, I don't remember it, but <laughs> I looked right. at the, I looked at the stats for it and like they like it won best Supporting Actor for one of Charles Academy Awards. It was nominated for, like, numerous, like, um, supporting actor roles in, like, cinematography. Um, Golden Globe was nominated for Best Picture for a comedy or musical. So this is a movie that was a certified hit for, uh, for you know, its time, whatever, 1994. Um, now, now, even if you take a movie that's forgotten, like Ed Wood, if you take that out of the equation... Mm-hmm. and just look at from 88 to 93, like, that's five for five. And so, yeah. and if you count Ed Wood, that's six for six, so he's basically Michael Jordan of the, of the directing films. True, uh, but, yeah. but, but the thing is, like, he does this in such a short amount of time that after this movie, like, before we get to the after the movie, do you think that Batman is Burton's best film?
0: Oh, wow. You you know what, Marcus? I'm going to say no. And Ooh. the re- reason being, it, it's definitely nothing that
1: he's done in the 2000s. I'll say Sleepy Hollow, which came out in 99.
0: No, it's not Sleepy Hollow. Um, It's not Ed Wood. And it's not Beetlejuice. Edward Scissorhands is a fucking... I love that fucking movie, and I've always loved that fucking movie from the first time I watched it, man. I I think that's Apex Mountain for him is Edward
1: Scissorhands okay um i i'll let you on a secret i remember being a kid four years old scared about (laughs) hands.
0: i was scared too as a child so this is this isn't something i realized in the moment this wasn't a 90s thing this is a i watched in early 2000s and then as i've gotten older and went back and revisited it that it's that kind of thing yeah yeah where i'm just like this is a good ass movie
1: no, I I don't think I've watched ever since I since probably like ninety one like you you gotta
0: take you gotta take another look man you you it's it's kind of apex Johnny Depp it, I'm not gonna say it's apex for um y- your girl um shoot what's her name uh, Stranger Things another writer thank you another. I, I was going I was thinking Naomi and I knew it wasn't Naomi watched. um yeah it, I don't want to say I don't think it's her apex I think she has better films after. But I, I don't know, man. Edward Scissorhands has a lot of good things going for it.
1: I mean, well, for Johnny Depp, like, because I think that whenever he did what's even good but great with Leo, Leo basically sucked his power at the monsters. And so, <laughs> I mean, I think, I think Johnny Depp, I think Leo had the career Johnny Depp wish he had. But Ooh, I would... Yeah. So yeah, and for... Actually, for Winona Ryder, I would actually... Well, for Winona, like, her career was super interesting. Um, I think because, you know, it derailed because of the whole, like... um, Shoplifting. Shoplifting fiasco. Yeah. But a lot of people love Beetlejuice. Her and Beetlejuice, a lot of people love... I don't love it, but a lot of people love Heathers. I don't really fuck with Heathers. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of people... Like Little Woman. I mean, Riley Bites, that's actually a movie from... I don't know if you remember Riley Bites, but that was like a 94.
0: Yeah, that's one that always gets uh, mentioned. Girl Interrupted gets mentioned.
1: Yeah, so... um, Yeah, Girl Interrupted, yeah. Um, But I would probably say um,
0: She was in Lucas. I always forget she was in Lucas, man. I mean,
1: that was another... That was like a super... That was like super, one of her first roles, man. It was her first role. It was her first role. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, man. So, I think Winona's probably Apex, actually. I mean, because if you count Beetlejuice rolling into Edward Hands, so you basically... Well, in 88, she had Beetlejuice and Heather's.
2: Mm-hmm. And rolled
1: it over to 1990, where she did Edward Hands. I mean, that's that's probably the apex of who she is. So especially coming off of it with his Hands is probably *Harry apex. Um yeah. yeah. And for Johnny Depp, I mean, he did like Cry Baby. Like he like Johnny Depp's biggest problem is he just never picked I don't I think he was really terrible at picking movies. Like I would just say that flatly. Like I oh, think yeah. I think he really wanted to you When know, you're talking
0: about a dude who stuck around and did two more Pirates movies after the story was done with the third one.
1: Yeah, so um, his apex may have been Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, so, the 90s weren't very kind to him. Like, like I said, like, as soon as 93 came, like, oh, so 93 came, he did What's Eating Gilbert great, but then he did Edward, which, like I said, at the time, people really fucked with, but at the same time, like, I don't think anyone's talking about Edward anymore, so that's, I mean, like, if you have a, like, the thing is, if you have a movie, like, like the fish fucking movie that was like what two years ago, yeah. That you know no one's gonna really remember that movie other than being a fish fucking movie, right? Right. So and like another year, like I I'm not even gonna even try to remember what the name of that movie is. Another another year, no one's even gonna remember that fish fucking movie anyway. So like if you have a movie that has that sort of accolades in the time but it doesn't stand until the test of time, then that probably means that like. Maybe this shit wasn't actually cracked up to be, and it was just misjudged for more than likely. But, but I mean, the only thing other than Edward Scissorhands, he had, like, Donnie Brasco in 97. Um, he did Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Did Fear and Loathing, which, yeah. Which, I would say, between Brasco and then um, Fear and Loathing, that probably is his apex. Um, he eventually did well blow blow is a good movie mm-hmm. um pirates in 2003 so but his career is so scattered so if you look at between like like someone that's critically acclaimed like ed wood within donnie brasco there's fucking like five movies in between that he, like, that's a that's he a lot of bricks. working
0: man Like, I mean, even if you look at his more recent stuff like 12 tw- like three credits in 12 two credits in 13 three credits in 14 three credits in 15 four credits in 16 of uh, four credits in 17 like and it, some of its voice acting, granted but still and in 18 he had one, two, three, four, five, six. one was voice one was a short one was uncredited so he had he still had three full of roles that came out in 2018 alone.
1: Uh, I mean, he's a volume shooter. He's, put up a lot, <laughs> he's getting a, a lot of bricks, but he's getting a lot of passes off. He's, try, he's trying to do a lot of shots off the dribble, a lot of catching shoots, which means he's not thinking about his roles. He's like they're throwing in the script. He's taking it. Fuck it. It's like if you look at like 2000 Johnny Depp, we're like on a tangent. But fuck it, we're already here.
0: Yeah, we're here. If you
1: look, if you look at 2000 beyond Johnny Depp, you can't name. I'm looking at a list, and I'm not. When I say a list, it looks like a CBS receipt. Like, these are just <laughs> movies like America and society is forgotten about. Yeah. If you can name five movies from the South, worth the damn, I would be fully shocked. Because since 2000, the only movies that I'm seeing worth the damn was The First Pirates, maybe Public Enemies, Blow, um, maybe once a time in mexico i don't remember if that movie actually holds up so i'm not gonna count it so fuck it right um alice in wonderland was kind of a a dud i Um, will
0: i will let my musical side go out swinging for swingy tide man i I fuck with swingy tide i enjoy that movie
1: so is that three then is that three so so, okay so we're doing so we're doing blow we're doing the first pirates are we going to count public enemies
0: uh, I mean, might, might as well. Cause I don't think he's going to get any more past that.
1: Um, no, we're not counting that. We, it's, we can't be doing, uh, oh, uh, is this donut good? Uh, no, we're not doing it. It's not good. It's not good. <laughs> so we're not counting that. So we only have, we have blow in the first pirates. And then you said Sweeney Todd. Okay. That's three. Um, for some fucking reason, he was, Tonto on the lone ranger in 2013 which america's Uh, just for the shit for that so that's a dud yeah um he was uh he did that um uh oh he was into the woods Ugh,
0: i fell asleep on that shit twice in the last two months like i fell asleep on the movie uh when Aaliyah was trying to watch it and i fell asleep when i took her to the play i definitely nodded out during the play, thankfully, so, yeah, it, Into the Woods is not holding my attention.
1: Yeah, man, he he did Transcendent, which was a which was a bust. Um, oh God,
0: he was in Tusk. That's right, I forgot he did Tusk.
1: So yeah, man, like you're like okay. So even if we feel generous and give him Public Enemies, um, which I mean I remember that movie being decent in all honesty, mm-hmm. but that's what that's four films since 2000 he's done at least 30 movies like and that's not even that's he may have done 35 movies since 2000 and and that's four movies like that's steph curry in the finals type of numbers like that's like that's yeah. just that's just unacceptable so 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 yeah man like johnny depp like we'll We'll give you the 90s. like Well, the early 90s. We were the Early 90s. We'll sprinkle every now and then. But nah, man. Like you're. <laughs> like, like I said, like what's eating Gilbert Grape? Like Whenever Leo showed up on the set, he should have just hit his kneecaps with some baseball bats and kept him moving. It's,
0: something happened on that set and changed everything, man. Ch- yeah, changed man. a lot of stuff. Hold
3: up. Hey, to be we, we saw. Oh, I didn't know I was recording. Hi there. Didn't mean to interrupt the great hyphen podcast show you're currently listening to. My name is Eduardo Garfield, the Bird Esquire. You can call me EG. I'm the host of the number one concert review podcast in the world. It's called Catch the Show. And also a member of the incredible hyphen podcast group, a collective of podcasters who like to give their takes on the main things going on from life to entertainment. And my show is me giving my opinion on some of the hottest tours and shows from Beyonce to YouTube. See, I go to a lot of concerts and have gone to a lot of concerts, so it makes sense I have a podcast reviewing concerts and talking about the latest in music-related pop culture. So go listen to my podcast, Catch the Show, on hyphenpodcastgroup.com, or anywhere where podcasts can be heard so you can catch the show. Get it, because that's the name of the title. All right, now back to the show you were listening
0: to. Oh, wow. So we talked about Apex Mountain for uh, Jack Nicholson, who played the Joker, and for Michael Keaton, who played Batman, and for Kim Basinger, who played Vicky Vale. So rolling it back into Batman 89. Um, there was this, There was this thing that happened from this movie where merchandise was selling like crazy for Batman 89, and they called it Batmania. So I, I vaguely remember this. I remember, I remember seeing it more than remember the news talking about Batmania is hitting the stores and everybody's anxious to scoop up all this Batman material. It was more like seeing it out in public. Um, so do you remember having any uh, cool Batman-related toys or memorabilia like that was, re- that was directly related to Batman 89 or just um, any experiences remember Batman 89 uh, coming to your area? Because one just immediately pops in my brain and it's, how many dudes had the freaking bat symbol trimmed into their hair? It was everywhere. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. Like it, it was a, a, like on the, in the back of their hot top fades or whatever they had going on. Bat signal. Like I, I did. My dad would not let me do that. Well, it wouldn't even let me do it. He didn't. I don't think he knew anybody he trusted enough to try to do it because I wanted it, and it never happened. But was there anything like that for you, Marcus?
1: Um shit. I mean, if you remember immature, the uh that hit uh, oh, R&B shit group, one of the niggas names. Marcus was Houston was Batman.
0: <laughs>
1: so yeah. Why does it's a... kept
0: I i stand immature for a few years because I was a big R and B boy band kind of kid, and I still say that their second album, uh, what was that album called? A Playtime is yeah. Over, P-L-A-Y-T-Y-M-E. It's or is Isova? And that's the joint that had constantly and it had never lie on it. And I I still to this day fuck with that album. So yeah, that nigga was called Batman. I don't know if he, they had the, he had the crazy. They all had the crazy outfits and the braids. Have you seen pictures of them from this album, Marcus? I have
2: not. Oh, hold I sure
0: on. have not. Hold on, give me a second, cause these niggas were wild, and they were kids. They they definitely look crazy on the covers. And, I, like, I was a kid, too, but I was like, I know better. Like, I don't know who's dressed as this dude. But, um, but go ahead. I'm
1: sorry. <laughs> but, no, man. I mean, definitely Batman it was a thing. I remember having, like, the Batman toys. Um, I had, like, the, the, the Batplane. I had, like, the Batmobile. Like, um, I remember, I think, one of the fanny packs before, you know, they came back around, like, last year. Like, I definitely owned a Batman fanny pack. Um. Yeah, man. I remember. I mean, I remember even the packaging for the original uh Batman toys. It used to come in like this gold package. Yes. Yeah. And so it had like the Batman logo on like maybe the top left hand corner of it. And so I remember, you know, being in Toys R Us and KB Toys, like begging to cop that shit. And so lucky enough, I was able to get. <laughs> I remember I had a Batman toy, like the detachable cape. And <laughs> so Yo, I
0: had that one too and I lost the cape and I never had the cape every, again.
1: Everyone loses the cape. Like that's right, what it will tell a you it's little Bring that
0: fit around the plastic neck, man. That that was not built to last.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: Yeah, man, that that that, that uh, toy heartbreak is a real thing.
1: <laughs> it always is, man. It always is. Absolutely. And so I, yeah, I was definitely part of the bat mania. Um, and this is even, I mean, before like, even like comic book culture was a even a thing, but yeah, like that shit definitely hit DC. <laughs> it, it hit every hood in America in all honesty.
0: Yeah. And like everybody had the bat symbol shirts and then uh, of course uh, we're going to get to this in a minute, but Prince had a whole damn album Ah, uh, dedicated to the Batman film. That soundtrack was everywhere. Um, it, it was an escapable move, man. Like that. Like, I, I think one of the reasons. Well, not even think. Like, I my the reason I bought my first Batman comic was because of this film, and that oh. like there was just nowhere that you could go. I mean, I was six or seven at the time, so I didn't have much to go on. Um, but there's just nowhere that you went that you didn't n- know about this film. And then the crazy thing about it, though, for me, was as quickly as Batman was everywhere, as soon as that freaking Turtles movie hit, it was all gone. And the Turtle merchandise wasn't moving like the Batman merchandise. I think Turtle merchandise has moved more for adults now um, versus when I was a kid. It was more of a kid thing. It was a kid brand. And now all those kids have grown up and are wearing Turtle shirts and stuff. But back then, it was cool to wear a Batman shirt if you were a 40-year-old. You know, it was like, oh, was just a black shirt with a Batman symbol. That's cool. You can't wear four teenage turtles on your shirt and be 40 back then. You can do that shit now. Um, but, yeah, as soon as that Turtles movie hit, man, everything just kind of changed. And the, the whole wave changed away from it. And when Batman Returns came back, like around in 92, it it didn't pick back up. Bat-f- Batmania didn't come back at all.
1: Um, Actually, <laughs> I, I remember. That I know. That before. I knew about. I- for Batman Returns, I remember there was, like, a Batcave. It was, like, this toy that was, like, part Batcave, part, like, just, like, lair. And it was, like, you know how, like, even, like, the... They used to have, like, the the Barbie doll houses. Like right. They even had, like, that for, like, the Batman Returns Batcave or whatever.
0: Yo, they got this thing yeah. in... Um, I don't know if they still have it in stores now, but Walmart had this Batman playset that was... It was for kids and stuff, but it was just this giant bat cave, and it had, like, Batman and Joker and everything, little figures and shit. I was like, I'd totally take that shit and play with it right now, easily.
1: <laughs> Anyone would, man. Anyone would. Um, but even, like, the Ninja Turtle thing, like, I definitely had, like, the Ninja Turtle bedspreads. Um, and also, yeah. Yeah, I, remember too, you know, I remember, too, like, the... Um, Oh, I remember the Batman video game, like it wasn't worth the damn. But... I was
0: just thinking about that. Yeah, you mean the Nintendo joint?
1: Yeah, the OG one, it wasn't really worth the damn Oh but... man,
0: they act like that shit is holy grail now. Like if yeah. you get on you if you on video game uh, YouTube or anything like that, and you talk about Batman, like like this game was so good and it was it was so difficult to play and I was like, Yeah, it was fucking difficult to play and that's why I ain't fuck with it.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, that shit was hard. Um, but you gotta keep in mind for Ninja Turtle things, like, not only the movie was popular, the games were fucking dope, like, the, 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 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle games, like, the arcade game, like, that shit was dope. The
0: arcade game Uh, was sick, um, and then when they ported it over as, uh, Ninja Turtles 2, that was dope. The first Ninja Turtles video game was kind of meh, because that that was, that was really hard as well.
1: Yeah, but there was, like, well... I don't know if you remember, it's like super rare now. I, I tried to buy it. Well, I was going to buy like a decade ago, but it was like $90, but it was a, it was a one teenage mutant ninja game, but it was like the, um, it was like, Oh my God. It was like the the time traveling game, but I got it.
0: That's, that's Ninja Turtles three. That's turtles and Tom. That's the best Ninja Turtles game. That came out on a super Nintendo. That is the best Ninja Turtles game that's ever came out.
1: Yeah, so, like, you know, with those games, like, they really added the culture. I mean, because arcade culture was very much still a thing in the early 90s, early mid-90s. And so, you know, they really propelled itself from that culture when Batman, like, it only just had the movie. I mean, you don't get Batman uh, the animated series until, like, mid-90s.
2: Yeah, ninety-three, yeah, so,
1: ninety-two, right? Yeah. So even with that, then I had like a push for like the toys and stuff. Yep. Um but and they like had their the OG, own
0: video game.
1: Yeah, but like the OG one, the, the 89 one, it was basically like just the um, just the movie and like the VHS's and like some of the toys. Like that was it.
0: Yeah. Um did I, I don't know if we got into the Batmobile question when we did uh Dark Knight. But this film definitely has one of the most iconic Batmobile designs um, ever. Some say it's their favorite Batmobile. Is this your favorite Batmobile? I can't remember if we talked about it or not.
1: Um, We never did. Um, I got to go with the Tumblr. You like the Tumblr? I kind of do. Yeah. The funny thing is, like, I think this Batmobile, I think it's actually really good. But I think as they got better... Cause even the one from the animated series, actually, I kind of like that one better. It's like just sleek.
2: It's
0: sleek. Like yeah, one, I was getting ready to say yeah. it's very sleek. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and but when we got to well, I guess I guess kind of take something back. Like whenever whenever we got to like Batman Forever, like those Batmobiles, they were just. They're getting a hog wild with them shits. Like, it was, like they were just doing a lot. Like I'm glad I'm, you
0: said that because my favorite Batmobile is Batman Forever's with the with the white and blue lights. Oh man.
1: my god. I had that I, toy too. I had that I like, toy too. I like
0: I, I always liked that Batmobile, man. I don't know why, man. That shit when that shit spun up in the Batmo in the Batcave, first time in that movie. And I know we'll probably never cover this together because I know that how you feel about Batman Forever. But it's one of my favorite Batman movies, and I know it's terrible, and I'm okay with that.
1: (laughs) As long as you're okay with that, that's all that matters. That's right. Thank you, Marcus. But this shit is gaudy as a bitch. (laughs) Oh, my God. Jesus. This is gaudy as a motherfucker. I
0: gotta see it. Oh, come on, man. That that shit's dope. I don't care what you say.
1: That... Like whoever was doing this was on all the cocaine. Like
0: hey man Jesus. Ninety five was a ride.
1: <laughs> in, in more ways than one, I would tell you that, man. But actually the funny thing is I think I saw the Batmobile in person when my family went not this one, but the 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 Batman Returns one, which mm-hmm. is basically the same one as eighty nine. Right. I'm right. pretty sure well. Did they used to have it at Universal Studios even though this is Warner Brothers? Cause I think were, so because it, it, it was either there or like a six part the six flags that it I, was I probably a six Flags. it was a
0: six flags because I, I remember now just as soon as you said that WB used to uh, work with six flags so it was probably a six flags
1: yeah so so yeah like I really I'd be like this one if I had to do like a power rankings of it. I would say... I you know, I think for the fact that the Tumblr eventually turned into, like, the the motorcycle, like, mm-hmm. um, I think the Tumblr is probably number one. Iconic I can the the And that guy that looked like the singer from Lincoln Park was there. <laughs> I yes. always thought that. <laughs> oh, my God. Resumes to Chester, but I always thought that was him. <laughs> <laughs> I always... Every time I see this homeless guy looking at the, the Tumblr, I always think... In the end, it doesn't even matter. <laughs> oh that, shit!
0: Who knew we were gonna get a Marcus singing Lincoln Park in the middle of our Batman '89 episode? That's awesome.
1: I I should have been doing Batman quotes, and I'm singing fucking Lincoln Park. I mean, but that is life. <laughs> that is life. <laughs> but um, I'm looking yeah, at the
0: animated series Batmobile, and that shit is definitely sleek as hell.
1: Yeah. So it's definitely the opposite of the Batman Forever Batmobile. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's still kinda like
0: I'm looking I was just looking at pictures of it now and I and I, I kinda of immediately regretted saying it, but I'm gonna stick with my guns and give myself time to get away from that hot ass take of liking it. But I I don't know. I like it I liked it as a child at least.
1: <laughs> you gotta live in your truth, man. If you like it now, you like it now. That's all you gotta do. I don't know.
0: I don't know. Those, those wings on the back kind of throw me off a little bit now. I was more I focused on the lights being dope when I was a kid.
1: They should have threw your ass off in 97. <laughs> 95, they should have threw you off. But, but Shut Batman, up, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Like that one was super, super wild. Um, but yeah, I got to go Tumblr 1, uh, Batman animated Series 2, an OG one. Well, not the OG one, but uh 89 Batmobile 3.
2: Okay.
0: There's your power rankings, because I can't be trusted because I like the Batman Forever Batmobile. So we're just gonna <laughs> leave that one right there.
1: Yeah, All right, right.
0: man. Let, let let's see where else we're getting. We're moving right along. We're we're into the print section of things. So I'm just gonna read this one verbatim to you. Has there, has there been a more famous artist than Prince who gets absolutely no credit for his contributions to the Batman mystique kiss from a rose is still paying seal to this day before he passed. Prince couldn't put bat dance on a best of project before, or wait, that was a mess. I hold up. Kiss from a rose is still playing seal to this day, period. Before he passed, Prince couldn't put bat dance on a best of project. And he gave them a whole ass album in six weeks. How do you feel about Prince's contributions to Batman 89 and the the Batman soundtrack?
1: I mean, I've looked at this movie so much, the Batman soundtrack this is a, this is the first Prince album I ever listened to. <laughs> like oh, I've yeah. watched this movie that much. Um, you know what? I think I don't know because I feel like the Batman soundtrack, well, actually if you look at this just the score for this movie, that's actually probably the most more underrated than Prince because the Ooh. score for this movie is actually superb. Like yeah, like, like the, the opening that, credit, yeah. like the open. See, that's how you know it's underrated. <laughs> the see, but no, but for real, but like, because even like the beginning, then it gets like all slow.
0: Yeah, they use that shit. Danny Elfman, they use the score for a lot of the Lego Batman games, and that shit just feels bigger. I mean, you're playing a fucking Lego Batman game, granted, but that score is amazing.
1: Yes, and so the um, so Tim Burton, who collaborated with the guy who did the soundtrack for Beetlejuice and Peeves Playhouse, like they. You know, got together for this, and it basically, like I like I said, I think I think the score of the movie is more underrated than the Prince soundtrack. Because I think even for the Prince soundtrack throughout the movie, it it's so wild that like you have this orchestra score, and then you have Prince woven into the movie, and they both flow like so, they flow like a river, like, like it flows like so effortlessly. Right, and they it's a it's sort of a real marriage when I don't even know if Tim was even thinking like that far ahead or whatever. Um, and the Prince album itself, like, that's sort of, even though like Batman, like Bad Dance was like a single to it, I think that it definitely has more of a cult status to it where for Prince fans, like, you know, that's a no-brainer. Like, they really fuck with the album, but how many people who are just Batman fans are going back to the, to the Batman album when they totally should, but... we Not don't really that many,
0: because they, yeah. like, the Batman fans that I know, and, like, I know are diehards, will... I've heard them say on podcasts and on their social media how much they fuck with that Danny Elfman score more than anything from Batman 89. They don't even mention Prince.
1: And Bad Dance was, like, the number one song on High 100 at a point.
0: Yeah, Bad Dance was, like, a, was a hit, man. Yeah. I, I I want to before we go any further, I want to I just saw the parallel between Dark Knight and Batman 89 with Batman and Joker facing off. So Batman's in the Batwing in 89 and then Batman and Joker facing off in the Dark Knight and he's on the um, the Bat cycle and stuff. The parallels yeah. between those two scenes is kind of wild. Like it's, it's been a minute since I watched Batman 89. So that's very cool to see. But continue with the music. I'm sorry.
1: No, I mean, I mean, even during that scene, the music, the score for that is, it's super intense. I mean, because even before that, that's when we get, um, oh my God, what song do they play for? W-X-Y-Z. <laughs> uh, this is an all-time classic. Yeah. This, the, these,
0: these episodes, I don't know about 102, but episode 101 was dope. And episode one hundred and three. So since we hit the hundreds, shit's been getting crazy on Hyphen Nation. We got Marcus singing Prince songs. Wow,
1: that that was beautiful, man. He like Tim Burton. like had the weave of trust, and and then going back to like the score, and then playing trust again, Mm -hmm. and then like like he's is a it's a fucking tennis match. Yes, it's a tennis match of music which you don't see, I I can't even name a director who's even doing that shit anymore, but like they, it was just fucking awesome, like that whole scene, like the scene where the, the, the fucking baby um, uh, air balloon is coming through the prince, and then like the float, and then like the the dude in the lumberjack, like, oh, what the fuck's going on? He's like running through the street and then all of a sudden this nigga tossing like $100 bills in the air and you know <laughs> And because capitalism is capitalism, everyone's flocking to the money. Oh, absolutely. And so, <laughs> and so then you have, like, and you have Batman, like, on the fucking, like, if any if any plane I want to fly ever, it's, it's that fucking Batwing. Like, that, that shot Batman in front of, of the okay. moon,
0: every time chills my entire life, every time I've seen it, when the Batwing yes. goes and flies up in front of the moon, that's just fucking perfect.
1: Yes, that was a mega stunt.
0: That, that <laughs> was a prelude to the Bat-Signal, because we don't get the Bat-Signal to the end of this movie.
1: Exactly. And then even that scene where they they flash it up, and you get the the big score.
0: Oh,
2: da-da-da-da-da.
1: Yes. Dum dum. last like offbeat. It's like dum Yes, classic. Fucking classic. Fantastic,
0: classic. Yes, Great man. shit. Yes. I got a I got a Nat trying to join our conversation. Nat, get away from my microphone, bro. I know it's hot. Dang. Uh, we just finished uh, singing the Danny Elfman theme and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, Marcus, I, I totally agree that that the Elfman score is a real um, understated thing about Prince. And the only thing reason I, I get I, I got some of my Prince bag about that is because I was deeply, unexpectedly affected by Prince's death when it happened three years ago, and then I've since yes. been spending a lot of time with his catalog when I'm not listening to podcasts constantly, and. Uh, <laughs> Um, one of the things that I, I did learn that I didn't know prior to his death was the fact that he didn't really. I mean, obviously, Warner Brothers had his contracts. He did the whole slave artist, formerly known as Prince, uh, movement, which obviously he got uh, out of. And then towards the end of his life, he actually was able to buy back a lot of his masters from Warner Brothers. But ultimately, while he was living, he never got to, um, be to to use any of that Batman material on any of his uh, projects and stuff, um, like any of his other music. um, He would still perform it, because what the fuck did he go and do? And he was always real tight-lipped about keeping all his uh, music close to the vest. um, But for him to have something out there that he didn't have access to use and recoup money on years after it came out always bugged me. So that's why I went there. But Elfman's score is fantastic. I'm glad you brought that up. Yes,
1: I mean, like I said, it was a perfect marriage. So I think they both—they both definitely deserve like a lot of lot of credit. How,
0: what do you think of this this shit though? That uh, Peters and Peter Gruber wanted Prince to write music for the Joker and Michael Jackson to do the romance songs. Elfman would then combine the style of Prince and Jackson songs together for an entire film score. What do you think of that? And that's two years after the whole bad fiasco, where Prince pretty much said. Fuck you to Mike for doing to doing bad. Cause Mike had wanted Jet Prince to be on bad and and Prince is like, I think they met once and then from what Quincy had said, Prince is like, fuck that. I'm not doing it.
1: <laughs> um I don't remember that being a thing. Um I mean uh well Yeah, I, I, I didn't think, know that either. I think Prince being so spicy as prince like and for i mean we can keep it real about mike i mean this isn't i don't think this is this take his revisionist history but i mean mike so prince came into the game basically writing and arranging virtually you know 99 95 of his music right and so every now and then like he get a collaborator on like the songwriting or like, you know, something along those lines, but Prince had been writing music since fuck this fucking Mm seventies. Michael wasn't writing music until bad. Well, actually. So when when thriller came out, I believe Mike only wrote like a couple of songs on thriller, but for bad is when other than man in a mirror and maybe like one other song, Michael wrote the music for Bad, mm-hmm. but at the same time, it's like now it's not really revision's history to say that like uh, Bad wasn't received, even though Bad was like super popular, it definitely wasn't received as off the wall or thriller.
0: And for um, the record, that is your favorite Michael Jackson album was is Bad, correct?
1: Bad is one of my favorite albums ever. So okay. yeah, it's it okay. is my favorite Mike album, and I say that even. Admitting to, I, I can definitely say, like, Off the Wall is, is better than, Off the Wall is better than Bad, Thriller is not, but, <laughs> but like, even still, like, even if we and just said History, like, those two albums were definitely well, well more received than Bad was, and so you're coming into, you're coming off of Bad, you're coming into the 90s where Bad is really, and like I said, I'll be totally honest about Bad, I love Bad, but Bad is the first album for Mike, that really didn't feel innovative in a way. Right. Like, like you had like, you know, the the disco of off the wall, but then you had like the sort of like big fucking like meteor that Thriller was. But then when bad is out, he's not really breaking any ground anymore. Like it's I mean, the album's like, I mean the album covers of a white man and like, and like these buttons and these zippers. Like it's a, it's a white background. It's like Mm -hmm. super like anti, like anything he's done in the past. Like he's doing this on purpose though, but like super different than anything he does. Right. And so you're looking at Prince where Prince is not the artist that he needs to sort of force the envelope for change. Like, Prince, Prince did what he wanted to do at his own time, like when all the time, yeah. and when Prince, you know, when he decided when he got, you know, more religion in his life and he decided to make you know music that just wasn't like, you know, super sexed out, he made music that he was comfortable with making. And so at a point, like he was he was he wasn't even really performing like a lot of his old stuff. Because I guess it was like sort of too sexual in nature for yeah. his sense was as it got older. But at the same time, like that's even even just doing that, like even making music that isn't as isn't controversial, but, but it's just still good music. Like Prince was an artist that he could really it's not even to say an artist being himself is taking a risk is kind of wild, but Prince was always himself, and like all the music he did, he was always himself. And so you really can't say that about Michael Jackson, especially coming off of "Bad," where you know he, who's bad, you know, and that's like that's you know that's not like you know the girl is mine, like that's like that's not like you know get on the floor, like that's not no. none of those disco hits that he was making or whatever. Mm-mm. So you know you have Prince, who is basically like someone. Is steeped in originality and steeped in, you know, being honest. And so whenever they approach him about doing that, like he definitely was some, nah, I'm not doing that shit because y'all niggas gonna make me like I'm crazy. Nah, we're not doing that. Right. And, so, and so the thing is, it's like, okay, he's, he's gonna collab with like Quincy and Michael, but who's gonna win the song, right? It's not gonna be Prince. No. So, so why would he do some silly shit like that, right? And so I mean this it's the same sort of thing. Like if you have him and Michael doing music and you know, you said that you're trying to come from the perspective of like making from the perspective of Bruce Wayne, then from Joker. I mean, obviously someone's gonna lose and it's not gonna be the guy who made Thriller. It's, right. it's not gonna be that. So I mean, you know, and, you know, this, we don't know what we know about Mike now, or, like the accusations, or whatever, but, you know, this is even before that. So, so maybe Prince saw the bullshit before we saw the bullshit. <laughs> but, I mean, I definitely think that even if, like, even if Michael Jackson appears on this album, like, I don't think that really, he really, um, he sort of helps anything in a way. I don't, I don't yeah. really, I don't honestly like Prince. Did, Prince did this album on his own. Like he, like he legit needed no help. Like he, he was, like if he was Steph Curry taking that last shot in Game Six, it would have went in. Like that's yeah. Like that's like that's basically what it is. I
0: mean, he he gave him the album in six weeks, and I'm watching the Joker hang from this ladder with the gargoyle on his on his pants. This is all on the Joker's henchmen. This is not a Batman death because these these niggas saw him dangling and they're like. Well, we're going to just leave him there. Like, take his ass to the roof and come down a little bit so he can fucking get down safely. No, y'all are fucking dumbass goons, and that's why the Joker died. Now, that's not, not that. Batman's fault. But shout yeah. out to Batman and Vicky, because Batman's about to save their lives, of course, and then they're going to dangle as the, the searchlights go on, and they're going to make out after this traumatic experience of almost falling off the cathedral with uh, their bloody faces and shit, but hey.
1: Actually, did they make out? Because I, when I was a kid, I always thought they made out, but now it's like, better they're, lo- TVs, they're looking
0: at each other here. Oh, no, she... She's crying, oh, yes! She, yeah, she put her head, like, on his shoulder. I always thought as a kid that she definitely yes. was, they, was kissing him, like, as they were swinging there, but no, it's... That makes more
1: sense. Yeah, I always thought they were making out, but... Like I said, once once the TVs got better, I saw the light. I saw the truth. <laughs> I, I,
0: I gotta say, man, like we're we're coming into the the home stretch of a uh, Batman '89 the Hyphenation Podcast, and uh, this this movie's over. We I've watched the whole thing while I'm sitting here talking to you, and Jack Nicholson's Joker is still so fucking good, and people forget how good he is because of Heath Ledger, but he stole this entire fucking movie, and he earned. Every damn penny he got and he earned that headline spot over Keaton, man. Like he just, he just nailed it. He nailed it in so many ways.
1: And I think we definitely talked about this in a previous um, hyphenation, but yeah, we did in 68. Well, the importance of the reason why Batman can be better than a lot of comic book movies is because the villain is equal or better than our hero. So there's there's actual stakes that he has to face. Like, like, you don't really think that, like, when you, like, whenever you watch, like, any of the X-Men movie or even when we looked at, you know, Infinity War and Thanos, you know, one, like, we knew Endgame was going to be the comeback. But for the Joker's portrayal, for Heath Ledger and, and, you know, to Jack Nicholson to an extent, like you know, this is a person who's willing to do anything to, to, you know, get his way. And that includes killing. and that that bad
0: signal looks awful.
1: Sorry. I know you're talking about something important. That bad signal looks awful. (laughs) Yeah. And the new one. Yeah. I told you the TVs mate. Like that's the thing about these HD TVs, (laughs) like the technology that they were filming was not HD. So, (laughs) but, but no, like that's what I'm saying. So, like, it's, like, this, I feel like this is the only time, like, these, this is the only superhero villain pairing in movies that they actually found a way to, like, have, like I said, like, the villain actually be the true equal or better than, um than the actual hero. Because even in something like Dark Knight Rises, like, I do think they match that also because Bane was just fucking awesome in in uh, Dark Knight Rises.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um but the Heath Ledger portrayal and this and Jack Nicholson portrayal like like it's so over the top but it's so good too. And so he definitely deserves top billing. And yeah, that,
0: that's the bar for everything.
1: Yeah. going forward
0: is Heath and Jack, man.
1: And that's why I think that like I said like this is the last great movie Jack Nicholson did because he was so good in it. Like the only way to really top it would be to mimicking this character in some way, like making derivative of this sort of evil, this evil person or whatever. Because even in like, well, I mean, I talked a little bit about um, a few good men. Like, like, like I said, he's only in two movies, but he's really based in this sort of moral staunchness. That's like I'm right you're wrong, get the fuck out of my way. Right. Which, you know, which does have roots in, you know, basically what the Joker was doing in this movie, like, except he was just trying to, you know, burn down Gotham City, but, um. Wow.
0: That's the first so time I watched the movie in years, man. I had a lot of fun, even with the sound off, just <laughs> watching that shit come back, the life in front of my eyes. Yeah, uh, man,
1: that's a classic, man, that's a classic.
0: Yeah, it's, it definitely is. So, couple more questions here um this actually these two can be tied into each other so um from what i've read online because of how successful batman was warner brothers kind of gave tim burton free reign for 1992's batman returns and then even though it was a big deal when batman returns came out and it made its money it got a lot of backlash from for being too dark for being too weird. A lot of the things that Tim Burton had already been known for from B- Beetlejuice. And, um, I mean, going into Batman and then Edward Scissorhands by that, by the time, um, by the time, uh, Batman returns, it came out. So he had already dipped his toe and shown that he was all about embracing the weird. Um, a lot of people didn't like what he brought to Batman returns and he was still lined up for Batman and Robin. I mean, not Batman, Batman forever until um I, f- I forget why they switched out the schumacher i think he had a conflict uh, something a scheduling conflict and he couldn't do it and so that's why they brought in schumacher because schumacher had worked on returns or something like that so um what's your opinion on returns um as a more uh tim burton hands-on film versus what we got in batman 89
1: um, well, I definitely saw that in theaters. I definitely remember seeing that in theaters. I did
0: not see that one in theaters. I caught that one on video, probably in '93, I think. Oh
1: shit! All
0: yeah, right. <laughs> I, I was in. I was in. I was in transition because that's when we moved to West Virginia, and there there was no movie theaters at Caden Bridge. I mean, they're twenty minutes away in Winchester, but my parents weren't about that life of driving me twenty minutes to go spend X amount of money on a movie. They're like, yeah, you just wait for that shit to come out on VHS. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and that was about it.
1: Yeah, that's good. Yeah. cool world.
0: Hey, I mean, because it came out in late 92, I feel like. Because, I mean, maybe that's just because I remember there being snow in the movie. I could be wrong I'm about the release date of Batman Returns. But I definitely don't feel like it was out. No, they probably did it in the summer. But anyway, I didn't get to go see it in the theaters. But go ahead. I'm sorry.
1: Which is odd because... It, the movie came out June 16th. June 16th. Well, in America, it came out June 19th, which is actually tomorrow uh, would be the 27th anniversary. Well, 92. Oh, shit. We're
0: doing this again tomorrow.
1: Batman Hilarious. Returns, episode 104. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know if it's that good to get its own pod, but. <laughs> uh, it, uh,
0: um, I could not. I liked a lot of things, in it, though, but what was your thoughts?
1: um i remember well i i like returns um but i always felt i probably liked it more than other people uh yeah it
0: gets a lot of flack uh from the batman uh community i feel like now um compared to like when i when i was younger obviously the internet's changed um has made more information available as far as people's opinions towards the movie but i definitely thought that people liked it back then and now it seems like you kind of hear it mentioned in the same breath as Batman forever and Batman and Robin.
1: Um, well, I don't think it's, I don't think it's mentioned that poorly, but I mean, it's still, um, I would say it probably just has like a middling to average sort of review. Um, I think actually, I saw returns. I saw, I saw returns was maybe about a month ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I decided to look at it. Um, I think, well, the funny thing is, I think a lot of things that the movie actually does well. Like, I think the relationship between um, Bruce and um, Selena, I think they actually did that super well. Honestly, that was like, I think the chemistry that they have and, and Michelle Pfeiffer. Michelle Pfeiffer is actually, um, she, I think she killed the movie. Like, I think she murdered her role. Um, yeah. I think the thing is, He's though, be- I think the thing is, though, because and also Danny DeVito, he was actually super, super good as um, as a penguin. Mm-hmm. Um, Oslo Cobblepod. Um I think the thing is, though, I think it got a little I think it, I think it's the problem with the movie is that it did get a bit heavy into like the Tim Burton nest sort of. Nightmare Before Christmas fantasy realm of you know what the movie was supposed to do. I mean, at one point there's like ping, like literal penguins with rockets that are gonna kill children. Like that's like Danny DeVito was riding on a big ass. uh, uh, rubber ducky rubber ducky mm-hmm. like um that part was super super weird like when when like penguin died like the penguins like carried his corpse carried the his body like, to the water yeah it was like those elements were they were like i said they were very timber but it, it sort of bridged out of it i think the i think with these comic book movies, you can stay in fantasy, but once it gets sort of into the ridiculousness of it, then that's when it becomes a bit too much. And I think that, and the funny thing is, like maybe if it's a little bit tamed down, maybe we don't get the the great performance from Pfeiffer or from Danny DeVito. But at the same time, like they didn't really balance it out. Well, not them, the actors, but Tim Burton and the producers. Like they should have balanced it out. Their performances of being over the top and actually. Like working, as opposed to like the other stuff with the movie that was just sort of a bit too strange for like Batman probably should be. So, I don't think we needed Penguin. I don't think we needed Rocket Toad and Penguins. So that was that was a strange choice to say. Yeah,
0: um, I I thought it was cool as a kid, but it doesn't add up as an adult. Yeah, not at all. It does not still work anymore.
1: Yeah, but I think the movie is definitely worthwhile just for the three of their performances, which I think that the, even the 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 cover of the Batman Return poster is pretty sort of on board as like you're coming to see these three people, you're gonna see some pink ones too. I <laughs> like, like yeah. I like I think if you sort of going with that, then I think you'd be okay, but. Like I I think sort of the over the topness of it was a bit kind of much like like the fucking the when when we got the bat boat with the the yellow ducky on the radar, like yes.
2: like
0: yeah.
1: that was yeah. like that was doing a lot. Like that was doing very, very a lot. So the
0: crazy thing for me is even if um even if Burton doesn't leave by Batman Forever I really have a strong feeling that he would have. I don't. He wouldn't have made it as. I don't think he would have brightened things up as much. Maybe, and especially like in Batman and Robin, like as everything was super bright and like. Um, I don't think you would have gotten Schwarzenegger. You could have still have an Umo Thurman maybe as a poison ivy, and then in Batman and Robin, you definitely. Uh, I'll say you could have maybe gotten Tommy. No, he would have stuck with um, with Lando. He would have definitely gotten um. Lando to come back and be uh, um, your boy
1: oh, Two-Face. I, mean, I, I don't think he would have because he produced he helped produce the third one. And oh, they, that's right. Yeah, that's so. right.
0: Let me shut my mouth. So, yeah, the main thing I'm getting to is I feel like even with Burton at the helm and not Schumacher, I feel like that we still get very similar films to how Batman Forever and Batman and Robin turned out.
1: Um... I mean, well, because those movies just were the opposite of what Burton is. Like those movies are just bright and bold. When even think of, think of how, well, if you think of the Riddler, and you think of Jim Carrey's portrayal of the Riddler, like he's in green spandex with question marks all over it. Like right. you, you get like. Um, the 2 face with like the purple neon skin and like the mm-hmm. the, the fucking suit. Half and suit. half suit. Yep. Like I don't think Tim Burton's doing that at all. I think he's going like grayscale. Like I think he's like I think I think it's more closer to what the animated series two face version is. As you know, this guy who's not I... only like meant like conflicted, like he's like basically have like mental paranoia and breakdowns and shit. I think Burton goes that route for Two Face. I a two-face.
0: don't know, man. I don't know. Like I know he was on on such a run though. Like in that time frame of when eighty nine and night and returns came out. But again, we've mentioned that towards in the nineties, that's when his his per his uh stuff started dipping in quality, and that's like mid nineties was. Forever and '97 was Batman and Robin. I could totally see him doing films that could be universally as trashed as those two films are, even with his name attached. I kind of, I kind of feel like it was his direction, and Schumacher just kind of put like he blew it up even more to appease uh, the investors to get more toys out into the world and stuff and merchandise and everything. But I, I kind of feel like it was Burton's vision all along to kind of end up doing that. maybe the stories wouldn't have been as stupid i have to give him some credit tim burton is a good director um and joel schumacher is not really from what we've seen (sighs) well
1: for schumacher like you've so basically his work is primarily like in the 80s or whatever Mm -hmm. and so you have so for those who don't know for joel uh schumacher he did, he directed San Elmo's Fire, The Lost Boys, and Flatliners, right. just to give you an idea of, like, what his sort of visual style is. Because even you look at, like, San Elmo's Fire, which, in a lot of spaces, like, that movie was sort of very, like, over-dramatized and overproduced in a lot of ways. Um, that's why I kind of think that, for his vision, it is, like, a bit more like i said like just sort of like bright and just in your face more than what um anything that uh bird never did yeah um so i like i said i think i think it is more of his vision of the movie um because i don't even think i know burden i think i mean burden has producer credit but i think that's probably on some shit where it's like we'll we'll, we'll put your name on it like you'll we'll put your name on it but you're not really gonna be doing shit about this and so like he didn't even do like the um burton didn't even like do any writing on the screenplay at all or contribute to the story for what i'm seeing so so i think he was a producer probably just a name though
0: okay well like it was just a weird theory that i kind of i kind of wanted to throw out there so i i don't know but uh that kind of leads to my next question about what could have. I just did. What could have been if Burton stayed at the helm? Uh, last question of the Batman 89 30th anniversary pod is, what if Batman nineteen eighty nine never gets made, um, and then what would the? Do you think the superhero film would be what it is in twenty nineteen without Batman eighty nine striking out and becoming the major
1: box office hit that it was thirty years ago? I mean. I don't think we get Logan. Like, no, I think, I think burdens, um, the impact that Burton had on Batman and also like the franchise. And I think the, I think the problem, I think with burden in this movie, his sort of problem was that. And while I think, like I said, the last two movies are kind of, like I said, I, I don't think, I don't think, Batman Forever is necessarily bad. I just don't think it's necessarily that good. Like I think Jim Carrey is phenomenal, but other than that, like I, I'm I'm not really taking anything away from that movie. Right. And Batman Batman and Robin is just like just flat out bad or whatever. But I think the failures of those movies is because I think the producers and directors they're trying to sort of build up off of what Burton laid the foundation for in '89 but they tried to like elevate it with these like over the top styles and they try to incorporate, they try to get away from the dark side of it and try to incorporate more of the Adam West version of Batman. And that's why like <laughs> they're doing like, even like the the Riddler, he's doing like the, the sort of game show esque thing and like forever. So I think they were just trying to do a little bit too much with the, with the films or whatever. But as far as like what happened, even though I guess I think those two movies aren't good, even if you go, let's say, for example, like I said, like like for your question, like if you take out Batman 89 and like there's no Batman 89. And so let's just say, for example, they do the Adam West movie in 89 where you're having like, you know, the colorful spandex, you're having Bill Murray, you're having Eddie Murphy. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then, like, they're beating up, like, John Lithgow. <laughs> of course. And, like, Always John Lithgow. And, like, it's some ridiculous, like, um, you know, Batmobile and, like, the ridiculous colors or whatever. Like, it's like I don't think the those comic movies in the 90s even get made, like, for, especially for a movie like The Crow, which is, like, super dark, like, that doesn't get any near shots being made if... if I mean, eighty isn't made um because even yeah. like even even mutant ninja turtles like um that's not that's actually a, a pretty dark movie if you think about it like
0: the first one is real dark it's more it's definitely more grounded in the comic book groups
1: yeah and so but you didn't I mean, know that, about. <laughs> yeah, no, i can but i mean like it's like it's basically a, a bunch of adolescent thieves going against you know cursing turtles they're trying to get vengeance for their kidnapped father like, Damn! Uh, yeah I, like... lost it, I can get it back <laughs> so yeah i mean like nothing about that movie other than like michelangelo and donatello like there's nothing really sort of bright about that movie but then whenever they do the second one they try to Get to play a little bit more like the comedy aspect of you know we're gearing this more towards kids now so we we gotta have like Eddie Reyes that was his name The yeah, uh, Kino and so, <laughs> and so if, a little uh, trivia he was actually one of the um. whenever they were fighting like in the costume he was actually one of the, the kids fighting in like the total costume in the oh, first week. oh yeah that's
0: right yes yeah, so I, I knew that and that's because of the random YouTube videos I watch like 15 facts you didn't know about Teen Mutant Ninja Turtles 1990 ninety.
1: I'm like alright cool I got 8 minutes <laughs> yeah so yeah the clickbait always works hey man um, but, but yeah like I mean I think that does have an effect on that first movie um, I think that it just has like an overall effect on just sort of those like just movies in general um, like I said like if we don't get you know we don't get 90 we don't get 92's Batman Returns um, because he, I, I, even this is a good comparable. So Dick Tracy came out the year later, but at the same time, like they're still playing into like the, like the, the big colors, like the, the big sort of over the top cartoonish shit. Like, they, I mean, niggas got like cartoon faces in the fucking movie. Right. So, like, they're playing into like really, really heavily. But you have like going back a little bit in the 90s, like, I don't know if you remember, like, you remember this movie, The Rocketeer? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so that's not really, like, a showy, like, um, you know, that's not really a showy movie, but that has a little bit of darkness. I don't know if you remember The Shadow, which I think I saw once in 94, and, like, that was it. But, like... I actually like, really like, liked
0: The Shadow. I've watched that a few times. I haven't watched it in years, but I really did end up liking The Shadow, man. I thought it was pretty decent.
1: So yeah, so I mean that's not a movie that's very bubbly <laughs> in really? any way, shape, or form. Like there were more movies like Batman in '89 than there were Tank Girl. So yes. so yeah, so this this movie definitely had an effect on because even like a movie like um, Judge Dredd, which that was a movie that sort of I mean that was a movie that bombed, like to to be honest, like. But I mean that was a movie that. You know, had Arnold, Schwarzen- not Arnold Schwarzenegger, not Switch, Schwarzenegger, fucking Sylvester Stallone. Yeah, Sylvester so Stallone, like, um, being Judge Dredd. And, like, that movie was, like, pretty dark. Like, they had, like, they tried to do, like, some funny moments in it. But, I mean, that movie is about niggas getting clapped off the face of the earth for, yes, for the most is. part. So,
2: mm-hmm.
1: so yeah. So you have, like, a sprinkle of, like, like I said, Tank Girl or The Mask. But you had like Spawn, and you had the Crow sequels, and you had, um, like I said before, uh, the first Teeny in the Turtle, and then like, um, fucking, uh, I already said Spawn, the Shadow, Rocketeer, yeah, Shadow, like Rocketeer, yeah. So the Phantom, do you remember the Phantom with Billy Zane? Yeah, like yeah. I watched this shit like once, but yeah, me too. One, one and done. So. And also you gotta keep in mind as well, like that even even if you take like the, the tonality out of Batman, like that's still like a, a movie that made four hundred million dollars. And so this mm-hmm. is gonna be years before studios learn to, you know, let's make a cinematic universe before before that's even a phrase. Like, right. like they're still giving superhero movies and comic movies a chance because the shit could make money. So Even if you take out the style, the stylization, and the tone of Batman, you still have this movie that... We have this comic movie that it was hell to make, but it it made cash money. And, like, we can do something similar to this. All
0: about that ROI, buddy.
1: I mean... Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yes, that's that's what capitalism does. <laughs> but yes, does. but yeah, so so yeah, even though, like I said before, like just look at the money that it generated. Um yeah, I think for that, like it basically studios like, we let's let's just try something with this movie and see if it sticks or not. And sometimes it can work and sometimes it's the Phantom. So actually or it's I remember the Green Lantern. <laughs> oh my god, yeah. That's that's uh no good there. That's yeah. that's very really no good. <laughs> so so yeah, I think that this movie um because even if, if you think if you if you look at sort of like the history of like these comic book movies, like what would you say after Batman 89, what would you say is the next impactful comic book movie? Uh, like not necessarily that good. That moved a needle, you mean? Yeah. Like, like, like shifted how comic book movies will be made. Like what was the next one after it? To be completely
0: honest with you, like, uh, it, it probably
1: wasn't until X-Men in 2000. X-Men in 2000. Yes, exactly. So that's the point I make. So yeah, that's the point I'm trying to make. Like, like, so X-Men in 2000, that shifted the narrative also, but at the same time, like that's what, 13 years? Yeah. Yeah. That's an entire decade and some change between, like, you know, how these sorts of movies are made. So, when X-Men came back, like, I mean, because all those movies in the 90s-like, I mean, I love Spawn, but I love Tank Girl. like, those movies didn't make shit. Like,
2: no.
1: The Crow didn't really make money, to the best of my knowledge. Um, uh, comic book movies like they just weren't making money in that sort of way like especially I mean even like the money and critically like you know by the late 90s like that just wasn't a thought anymore honestly like whenever like Spawn came out in 98 like 97 mm-hmm. um, between that and X-Men like there so that's my knowledge like there wasn't like much of a movie after that that people were like really sort of
0: no you know, man it was just a bunch clear. of shit being stuck in uh development hell man where it's like oh they're working on this uh we don't know when we're gonna see it and don't even get me started on the attempts to get superman back to the screen from the aforementioned quest for peace in 87 up to 2006's uh, superman returns like there is so many scripts and i don't know if you've ever heard about the any of the scripts that were out there or kevin smith's involvement or anything like that tim burton was attached at one point that was a freaking uh uh, in fact they made a documentary about trying to get that movie done that just came out a few years ago um and there were so many projects like superman that just never got made in that time versus the little stuff that did make it to the top
1: yeah, I mean, I mean, I that, mean, that that makes sense. Like, I mean, because we're coming off of the fourth Batman movie that was critically panned, um, and like I said, there's nothing, like, there's nothing really there that's going to keep people's like, sort of attention for making like, there's not, there's not something that's giving people reason to keep making the type of movies. So, but when X Men comes out, then that starts the ball rolling again. But then you have X2, and, you know, then we, so X, what year was X2, like, 2004, 2005? X, X2 was uh 2003. Oh, 2003, okay. Yeah,
0: Last Stand was 2005.
1: Okay. And so, even though X3 was no, sort of last like.
0: Last Stand was six maybe. It's, I mean, it doesn't matter, but it's in that period.
1: Yeah. And so that that basically sort of like rejuvenated the franchise. Well, I mean, there was no franchise for X Men, but that rejuvenated sort of the idea of like comic book movies like being a thing again. And so I do think that with X Men success, that does start the ball rolling for thinking about Iron Man getting made and you know, that just basically set off another sort of wave of um Currently, what we're in now... Um, and I think that, I mean, what we're in now, like, we're definitely in a space of, like... We we flipped we flipped it completely. Like, we went from the 90s, where comic movies didn't really mean anything, to in the 2000s, where they were starting to mean something. Now we're basically in an era where only comic book movies make serious money.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And
1: only franchise movies make money. Other than John Wick, like... Nobody's you, hanging in there. If you take out John Wick for this year, the only movies making money is going to be Avengers, and when Joker comes out, and when Spider Man comes out, like literally nothing. Oh, and else. Captain
0: Marvel. Captain Marvel's in there too.
1: All right. Okay. Yeah. But again, that's still that's still Marvel, but but um, if you take if you take those movies out, like dramas, like they're not making any money at all. Like. Shaft, which just came out last weekend, Shaft only made seven million dollars.
0: Yeah, Sha—I knew Shaft wasn't going to do anything, and
1: it didn't do shit. (laughs) So right, nobody was
0: hungry for a Shaft movie when Samuel L. came back, and that was what two thousand when they did the Shaft remake, and it didn't make any money then. Why did they think people? Actually,
1: that's not—it made a hundred million dollars. What? That, it didn't feel like it. <laughs> I mean, I mean, because if you actually, the box office, it was. I mean, those are the days when, if a movie came out and it made like, <laughs> like seventy million dollars, it wasn't the end of the world. It was actually accomplishment. Now, oh, wow. now, like, if a if a movie like fucking, if a movie like Booksmart, if it even made half that, like, they'd be running for the hills in excitement. But right, like, but. But I'm let me look at the numbers for Shaft 2000 because, yeah, like, because even if you think about it, like that movie actually, it actually was like a, um, if you remember, like they used to, it was heavy in syndication. It used to come on TBS oh, all true. the time.
0: That's true.
1: And so, okay, so the box office that it raked in, $107 million. Wow. And, and this is a movie who, on Roger Ebert it gave it two and a half stars out of four, and so this is a movie that it only took. Let's see, it only took it took forty six million dollars to make. It doubled that, and, and this is an era when there's it's it's a year two thousand, so there's no such thing as a comic book movie, right? Like like franchise, like like, the, like that's not a real thing. Um, you have Samuel Jackson, who's People know Samuel Jackson, but he's not like a, he's not like in the forefront of culture as he is right now. No. You have, you have Christian Bell and Jeffrey Wright, who are some of the most accomplished actors walking the earth right now. Like they were in that movie, like, but they're not, you know, well, back then Christian Bell wasn't like a real box office draw. uh no, he Jeffrey, was not. Jeffrey Wright is like probably one of the, I would say probably the top five male no actor characters alive and he's i mean he's not a box office y'all no disrespect to him like i love jeffrey wright so um, do I. but you know he's not like if jeffrey came out with the movie like it's not gonna be like okay well joe schmo's gonna go see jeffrey wright play character x so that's not gonna happen um but yeah like that movie in 2000 made a hundred million dollars wow and this and this, the Shaft movie literally made one hundred million dollars more than this Shaft remake, which no one wanted. Like this, legit could have been just like a movie that ended up on Amazon or BT directly, and then it would have it did its streaming numbers and like that was that. Wow. So,
0: see that's so. see that's nuts because if I'm knowing Shaft power rankings, it goes Shaft seventy one, it goes uh, Shaft in Africa. Probably Shaft 2000 and then Shaft's big score. So I, I never, I thought it was fine. The remake, it, it didn't grab me like the first, uh, the first and third Shaft did. Um, but I, I would never have thought it cleared 107 mil at the box office. That's nuts.
1: Are you saying the Shaft came up short, Kellen? Um, yes, yes, Marcus, I am. Yes, That's it came perfect. in a little bit. It came a little bit limp for you when you went to see it um
0: when i saw it on dvd yes yes that's correct when i got it from netflix in fact uh,
1: okay so the shaft it wasn't as hard as the original ones it wasn't no
0: it wasn't, no it it wasn't as um it didn't it, it didn't uh move me like uh the first and third movies it, it it was like mid like uh the second shaft movie was shafts big score okay
1: okay
0: yeah all right so yep all right <laughs> okay Anyway <laughs> yeah, I see what you did there. Yeah, I just rode with it whatever. you ain't gonna catch me slipping twice. All
1: right, all right
0: fam well
1: good to hear <laughs>
0: that that has been with that rousing ending um our Batman 1989 30th anniversary episode um going back and looking at one of the most influential and important comic book movies of all time and definitely an entry into Batman Mythos that cannot ever be ignored um no matter what area you're comparing it against it, it's still strong 30 years later me and Marcus just both laid eyes on it both of us enjoyed it um and both of us enjoyed it um i, I don't know what i was trying to say there but we enjoyed the film still think it's great marcus is, can still quote it to this day i can as handsome bane would say close my eyes and watch this film um, and it's it's still incredible that even the six-year-old me and the 36 year old me can still get excited about this movie. So um really happy. We got to sit down and cover it and just in time too.
1: Yeah, man. So I guess a final question for it. So is so oh, we definitely talked about just Marvel and our favorite Marvels,
2: mm-hmm. but
1: does Batman 89, where is that ranking for you? As like, your as far as your favorite actually let's even go beyond just even just comic book movies like would you say like this is probably like would you say this movie would be in your top 10 just movies just ever
0: no (laughs) um i i love the movie but if, if if i sat down to do an actual top 10 i don't think it would make it um Hell, I, I'd be interested to see what would make it because whenever I sit down and make a list of any freaking con, like that takes like two weeks and racking my brain and not sleeping and everything else, make sure I don't forget anything. So, um, I don't think it would make the top 10. I, I would say top 20 for sure, top 15 maybe. I think it's a, a great film, one of my favorite films I've ever watched. Um, but I don't, I don't know if it, it, it I think I could think of more films that would rank ahead of it as far as. Um, My favorites ever.
1: Okay. Um, For me, I mean, like I said, I've watched this movie so many times that, like, I would probably, just for the nostalgia's sake of it, I would probably would have it in my top ten.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, like, a long time ago on Twitter, like, there was, you know, those posts of, like, your four, like, um favorite films, like, your four most, like, influential films. Mm-hmm. And... So the four films I picked were uh, 1991's Malcolm X uh, 1982's Tron uh, Camp Nowhere (laughs) Shout out
0: to Camp Nowhere fam
1: 93 That and Heavyweights (laughs) Oh yeah definitely definitely And so and also Batman 89 I picked So for the tweet I wrote Batman 89 made me fall in love with movies and so I tweeted that last year and it's it's still the exact same today. So yeah, awesome. um, yeah man, it, it was the first movie that really sort of caught my eye for, you know, what cinema could be and like where it could go. And so I do, I do think it even for my childhood, I do think that it did really sort of spark just like my imagination for stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I used to watch this in wrestling, so, right. so like I was always into sort of some sort of like fantasy realm. Which I mean, I think a lot of kids are. I mean, because rally kind of sucks, but <laughs> but I think that I think that for this type of movie, um, I definitely do think that it was the first, um, uh, movie that really got me into movies, and so um, for My- Tron, like.
0: Or go, go ahead. I'm sorry.
1: I was going to say, like, I was going to say, like, for Tron, like, they got me into sci fi and, like, Malcolm X, like, they got me into, like, just sort of, sort of black pride. But overall, like, Batman got me into movies. But um, what were we going to say?
0: Uh, I was just going to say that my Batman, the film that got me into movies, would be Back to the Future.
1: Oh.
0: Yeah. Talk it, a little
1: about that. Why?
0: Um, it, I don't I don't know what it was, man. Like my like I, I think I've shared with you before that my dad was a bootlegger. He would get he would get the uh <laughs> he rent the movies from from uh motion video and uh bring them home and he would dub them and stuff and he had he had he had a little catalog of stuff. Like he had literally had a book about what tape was on what and everything, what movies on what tape. And I I don't know whether he handed it to me or what he's like he's like a, Uh, go to your room and watch back to the future whatever. And I sat down, watched back to the future and immediately like I I was, it was hook, line and sinker, man. Like it's, it's top five, top three, probably because just that story of a a kid and crazy professor and then going back in time and trying to make sure that you exist in 30 years from the time that you're actually um, going back 30 years to the, when your parents first met and trying to, and trying to make sure that you exist 30 years from that time is just, it just always grabbed me. And then the DeLorean, despite it being a a piece of shit vehicle that has a long history of, I don't know if you ever read about it, but John DeLorean designed them and he had a long history of wrongdoing and shit that I just read about a few months ago that blew my mind. And the reason why the DeLorean was created, um, like that vehicle was the perfect vehicle to be a time machine for, at least for me to see as a kid. It's like something I could relate to easily. It's a car. You hit 88 miles per hour, you go. You know, there was no, no nothing beyond that. It was just a real simple premise. I picked up on it. Love Michael J. Fox as uh, Marty. Uh, loved uh, Doc Brown and uh, just really fell in love with that universe. And so um, that's what made me fall in love with movies. And, and that's, that's why I, I just wanted to sneak in here. That back to the future was my, batman uh, uh, for you how influential it was on on my on your love for movies it was the same for me
1: nice i i still remember my dad had back to the future on betamax so nice so yeah that's how far back i go with um back to the future but
0: yeah man that's my shit i haven't bought any of the blu-rays or anything but i did cop the three disc set when it had a decent price at walmart um, a few years back and I definitely, uh, have broken those out of time or two and just, and, and sat back and enjoyed everything and even spent some time with the special features again. Like that, that, that literally is my, that, that's it. Like for me, like there's been, that's, that's why I was so afraid that they would go time travel in Avengers Endgame, game. And obviously they did spoilers, but, um, uh,
2: <laughs> but,
0: but, you know, it's like, like if, I've seen it done perfectly in my eyes one way. And I'm gonna be like maps in this instance where it's like I don't wanna see it done any other way. And I'm still trying to save it for the end game pod, but I feel like they pulled it off in end game. Um still it wasn't what I wanted my time travel to be, which is always hopping to DeLorean and punching numbers, flux capacitate your ass out of there, you know? <laughs> so I'm always gonna be jaded when it comes to time <laughs> travel theories. I, I will never be able to Fully uh, engross myself because I've already seen the perfect time travel um, movies in my mind.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's that's perfect. No, no need to capitalize on that. Exactly. I mean, but no, but no. Like I, I, I pretty much share the same sentiment. So, so yeah, man, definitely. Um, Back to the Future is definitely a classic. I always, I'm not, I'm, I don't even know if it. It did make it rewatchable or not, but I definitely, if it's ever on, like I always, if it's on like any sort of streaming that I happen to catch, I'll, I'll always watch it.
0: Oh yeah, like it, it's a, it's definitely a stop everything and watch it. It's kind of like I said, um, I feel like I've mentioned this before to you before, maybe not, but it was like when um, the Star Wars original trilogy would come on TNT and stuff around the holidays or like over the summer they would just put it on over uh fourth of july weekend and they would just show the trilogy um and everything and it's like when they started doing that and now i don't i think they still do but it's different or like with cable with cord cutters and everything you don't have your tv on constantly and shit um but i know like even 10 years ago i'd be scrolling and i'm like oh shit there's, this is uh this is like the middle of a new hope or the tail end of a new hope or the beginning of uh empire i'm staying here for the next six hours like it's, it's not moving so that that's how back the future is for me it's just everything shuts down and I, ha- I have to take in as much as i can with whatever else i got going on that day
1: roads but we're going we don't need roads
2: the, the,
0: one of my <laughs> favorite quotes ever is when they're standing in twin pines mall because parking lot because it was still twin pines mall then uh, Marty and Doc are standing there, and he's like, "When this baby gets up to eighty-eight miles per hour, you're gonna see some serious shit." <laughs> <laughs> and I just always loved um Christopher um um almost said walking Lloyd. um, Lloyd. Thank you, Lloyd. I always uh, get um get them confused and shit. Also, it's real late and all that shit. But anyway, Christopher Lloyd, I always love his delivery that line. I love this so much that I actually used it. Um, before a song on one of my mixtapes because I just want to get that quote in there. So, yeah. Good shit, good shit. Yeah, man, so anything else that you wanted to say about Batman 1989 before we uh, do the
1: go-home, Marcus? Um, uh, I don't have anything else, but I do think it's... I think it's interesting how actually another way of sort of influential that we didn't really touch on, even though know, we talked about um, Tim Burton and his um, you know, influence on this one and returns and, you know, whatever he did for forever. But it did sort of spark the idea of like having a director just being in control of the films. Um, so that happens sort of a little bit with X one and X two, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, I was,
0: both of those were all singer.
1: Yeah. And so, and then you go with Favreau where John Favreau, he did, um, Iron Man one and two, he wanted to do Avengers. Um, but they wouldn't, they wouldn't let him, uh, but I mean, he's still stuck in there, but at the same time, like he still had his hands on the first one, Iron Man. Um, Zack Snyder with um, uh,
0: Batman v Superman and Justice League
1: yeah but he he did the Superman ones too right oh yeah yeah he did Man of Steel
0: and then uh, Batman v Superman which is supposed to be the sequel to uh, Man of Steel except it really didn't feel like it obviously because it was Batman v Superman and not Superman 2 or even Man of Steel 2
1: for that one he had to he like dropped out um, and like basically The middle of everything um, I thought that because,
0: was Justice League When he had to drop out
1: Oh uh, yeah I'm sorry that's, Yeah that's when Josh well, Wheaton came in and
0: finished it Oh
1: uh, yeah 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 I'm, I got confused for a second my bad
0: It's okay um, but, <laughs> I couldn't think of Christopher Lloyd two seconds ago I think we're even <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: But and also um, Who's directing Wonder Woman now Oh um,
0: uh. Patty Jenkins,
1: yeah. If so, I pulled
0: that out of my ass, I think I did actually. Wow. See, it's amazing <laughs> what the brain can do when you actually kind of force it to think.
1: <laughs> but yeah, I mean, she's controlling that ship, and that's I mean, that's DC's best ship at the moment, from what I'm seeing.
0: Yeah, and but, and everybody's kind of freaking out about that already. And that movie don't come out until next year. Like, I don't think I'm going to like this. I'm like, what? What are you talking about? Like, um. I I don't understand what, what is the issue where you're, you're worried about the wonder woman sequel. Um, one of my, one of my friends who I did not expect to say something about it, just said something to me the other day and was like, did you see the poster? And I was like, and I was like, yeah, I totally saw the poster. And then she was like, um, and she's like, I'm kind of worried about that. About the movie. I'm like, why? And she, she was just kind of like, I don't, I don't know, man. I like it. Just didn't feel like it's gonna be what I wanted to be. I'm like, shit. Okay. (sighs) I don't know, man.
1: So, I mean, well, I haven't seen the poster, but I trust her vision. Um, The first one was really good, so I'm yes. I'm gonna assume that it is gonna be good. But my overall point is like having the trust in directors with their vision um, is a good thing for the most part, but I mean, there are instances when, like I said, it can fail. But I do think that for the most part, uh, having the director, having the control, and also with his actors having um, even like Garden of Galaxy and shit, and I'm not necessarily a a favor of the second movie, and I probably won't be supporting the third movie. Um, I do think that having that control of the film... Is probably better than just with the studios that have control over it, just on their own devices. So, um, so yeah, like credits to the director, and I think that's the last thing I want to say about Batman. <laughs> unless you, unless you have anything less to say about it.
0: No, no, man. I, I'm I'm thankful to be able to revisit this movie. Like I said, and still enjoy it as much as I did years ago. Man, it's it, it definitely holds up, which is one of the reasons that we do this. So. I'm glad to sit down and have a friendly chat about it with a, a very good friend. So
3: uh...
2: the following has been filtered to remove all ego, to provide the best quality material for listeners. Thank you on behalf of the hyphen podcast group. My name
0: is Miles Amadeus Prower. I have what I believe is a pretty cool podcast that you probably never heard of. I Black Man podcast is a view of a white world seen with the aid of a black light and a little humor to help you cope. So check out the I Black Man podcast on
3: iTunes and any way you listen to podcasts.
0: Marcus showing Mad Love Robinson, man who has once again been on this two hour plus ride because we don't do short episodes on Hyphenation. We do (laughs) in-depth, talk-a-lot episodes on Hyphenation, the world's greatest podcast, Barack Obama approved. Um, Do you have any words of wisdom you want to leave the people with before we go forward, or any recommendations? You can do words of wisdom, or you can give me a recommendation about anything. It can be how to tie your shoelaces, about music. It could be about how to uh, cook your green beans, or you can just give me words of wisdom. So whatever you want, man. (laughs)
1: um well i would say i mean the only sort of words of wisdom i would have for people is um go outside (laughs) um it's the summer it's about to be hot as hell but i found that getting out and doing things like even if it's sort of like the minimalist thing you can do like it's being outside like it, it just feels it feels just good like i've being in Texas, like, we have so much fucking um, sun, but, like, I feel like I, I feel kind of regenerated, like, rejuvenated if I'm just, like, outside, like, in the sun.
2: Yeah.
1: And so, it's actually last, the last two weekends I've actually gone to the beach, which I've never gone, like, back-to-back weekends to any beach ever, so, um, that actually felt really, really good being out there, just, like, You know, with the water and the sand and the sun, like just sort of thinking about, you know, just life and hanging out with my friends and yeah, and so like that was all like a really good experience. Um, If you can, like, find a pool. If you can't find a pool, find a river, find an ocean, find a lake. Like, if you can't find that, just like do something that's you'll be outside, but won't you know, die of a heat stroke or something. (laughs)
0: That that's very good advice for the summertime. Um absolutely awesome. Because uh I am a summer guy. I know some people are like, oh, I like the spring, it's more comfortable. Or I like this fall, it's so pretty when the leaves start falling. Or I like winter, like well fuck you. Um I'm a summer person. <laughs> so I enjoy the heat. So I a hundred percent agree with Marcus' statement and I back him up. So here is my words of wisdom for, for you right now. Oh, man. My words of wisdom is watch what you say on the Internet. <laughs> <laughs> you know why? You know why, Marcus? Because sometimes you say shit as a, as a child, not even a child, like a, mid, a, a teenager, or it could have been somebody in their 20s who used to literally tweet about girls he would see on the street and hashtag it Twitter misogyny. Yeah, I did that, but those tweets don't exist anymore. Good luck finding them. Um, like there's just things that you just shouldn't say online. And as, as, as uh, the internet continues to grow and grow each day and become more sentient, eventually going to black mirror us to death. Um, here's the thing you got to remember. Just, just think about what you're putting on the internet. Cause one other people's going to read it. could be your friends, could be family other people could take it the wrong way. Especially if you're talking about something like politics or, or, uh, sexuality or just something, something that, uh, maybe your opinion is just a little too harsh, man. You you need to think about how people's going to receive that shit. And then most importantly, you got to think about your employers. Who's going to look at your social medias and check out the shit you've said, or maybe potential colleges that check out the shit that you said and be like, Oh, Well, all of a sudden, you you did this when you were uh, these years ago. And you were like, oh, I'm a changed man. You know, that was five years ago. I used to jerk off to pictures of fat girls. Now I don't do that anymore. And I have great grades. Uh, Yeah, but you also just used the n-bomb a bunch of times on, on Twitter and we totally caught your ass because your dumbass didn't clean up your shit or your dumbass thought you were allowed to say it so ladies and gentlemen as much as I love the retribution that motherfucker got please watch what you're doing on the internet <laughs> <laughs> and that's your hyphenation PSA for today
1: Or you could just not have terrible opinions about humans.
0: Yeah. Don't be a (laughs) shitty person. How about that? How about that? So Marcus, I got a surprise for you. What's up? We're about to start the 15th anniversary pod of True Lies right now. Welcome to the Brock Open. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I am watching True Lies, though, because it was recommended after Batman ended and I love True Lies. So Harry has just found out that his his beloved wife is seeing Simon that skis ball and uh he wants to know what up with that, you know? Shout out to Full Force, <sighs> all right, ladies and gentlemen. This has been hyphen nation, a hyphen podcast group production hyphen podcast group.com. Find us wherever podcasts are sold, and if you're buying your podcast, hopefully, you're buying ours because we will take your money. <laughs> <laughs> Patreon.com is available on the podcast. If you go to hyphenpodcastgroup.com, you'll see the link to Patreon. There's a link for Amazon if you want to click on the Amazon links and go do your shopping. A little bit comes back to hyphenpodcastgroup. We appreciate that. Um, shout out to uh, the Raptors and Boardman for uh, winning the championship. Um, unfortunate about Clay and, uh, and uh, your man, Kevin. But uh, like I said, we mostly me and Marcus can come together along with some other familiar voices in order to talk about some sports here very soon. So um, always keep your eye on this space, the nation space, because I always will let you know when your boy's over doing something else. Like, for example, I just did a podcast called Fresh with uh, Maps. So uh, that should be coming out, I'd say, sometime this week. Um, and knowing him, he'll probably chop it into two episodes and it will be two different episodes on two different weeks. So uh, look out for that. Marcus, anything that you want to let the people know about? Anything you want to plug before we get out of here officially?
1: Uh, well, if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm um, at love S-H-O-W-I-N-M-A-D-L-O-V. Um, there you can stalk all my tweets on you know just random rap lyrics and hmm. how the Boston Celtics are shit. Um, (laughs) other than than that you can read uh, my written published pieces at vmarkrob.wordpress.com that's t-h-e m-a-r-c r-o-b dot wordpress.com the last piece I wrote uh, was taking a sort of a critical eye at uh, the ringer Um, that's definitely a website that me and Kellen uh, we have a lot of um We have a lot of good memories and a lot of good experiences with The Ringer, but I do look at sort of the cultural gatekeepers of The Ringer, and I look at uh, Beyonce's concert documentary Homecoming, and I sort of view the lens of that movie through what their particular movie was. And so, um, so, yeah, I do talk The Ringer, I do talk about about The Ringer a little bit in that and how they can find ways to improve. Basically, how they're like reporting and speaking about black culture and really who should be in charge of like who's, you know, discussing culture or not. Um, so that's my, my latest piece. And hopefully, I'm going to be publishing something on Drake in the very near future.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. You can always trust a dynamic duo or podcast showing mad <laughs> love your boy HY. I'm tired. It kind of shows at this point, but I don't care. You know what? I'm a man of the people, and I will always be here for the people, as will <laughs> be showing mad love, Robinson. Got that? Good. All right, big dog. Until next time. Thanks, Oof.
1: y'all. Oof. Oof. <laughs> Why the fuck was I barking? <laughs>
0: Don't forget to subscribe and comment. This has been a Hyphen
2: Podcast Network production.
3: They're the bestest. I'm getting paid an
2: exposure.